welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Adventuring comes in many forms, and for us, it means delving dungeons, constructing railroads, epic space battles, and yes, sometimes trading in the Mediterranean. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 120 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. King Scott here. And today we've got a very special episode because we're joined by the newest voice on the show, our party navigator, Lena. Welcome. Hello. All right, Lena. Who are you? Adventures want to know. We've heard the segment a couple times now where you, you took us, uh, you talked all about Portugal and Azul. You did Sequoia. Why Navigator? What's your gaming background? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, clearly I like traveling and a little bit of adventuring there and whatnot. So I guess that fits in well for my new <laughs> role here. But I've always enjoyed games from board games to tabletop role play games to video games. Throw it in there and I'm just all about having fun. <laughs> I do really like anything that'll get a good laugh, you know, so I'll be a sucker for party games, puzzle games, anything, you know, I'm just, I just enjoy having a good time. I think they call that an omni gamer willing to play anything, I like it. You know, I really am. I mean, you guys have been with me at the shop before and you're just like, here's a game. And I'm like, okay, what are we playing? Let's sit down. (laughs) What am I learning? I'm like, uh, sure. You want to try this? Great. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. What are we playing today? All right. I'm there. Just teach it to me. I'm here for it. So ultimately, I'd say I still really like I gravitate a lot towards anything kind of puzzle like games. I do like card drafting games. I've even like played quite a bit of TCGs before. You know, I like things that are like Tetris style games, you know, even Tetris board game, Planet Unknown, putting things on a grid. I love those. So (laughs) I'm an absolute sucker for anything that is seeing the world in Tetris. (laughs) On the Board gaming side, I mean, in college, I would bring around various board games to play, so I've always been up for that, and I think my gateway game was probably Ticket to Ride. Like, I picked up Ticket to Ride before I moved out east out here, introduced it to my family, and it kind of all went downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) Or uphill, you know? And then I recommended Catan, and then, you know, it just snowballs from there, and then before you know it, you're at conventions and game shops, and you've got a room full of board games all the time. (laughs) All right, Lena, we're going to kind of narrow it down just a little bit. So if you had a party and you were going to get three games out that you really want to play, what would those three games be? Oh, man, I just have to pick just three. <laughs> I would say probably my some of my top favorites have been Tiny Epic Pirates is one, one. of my favorites, which you introduced me to. Azul, which I just talked about on our the last episode. Two. And... As of late, probably Planet Unknown, but it's really close tie with Red Cathedral. Ooh, okay. Oh, okay. A Devere game. Boy, Devere's yes. been fire lately. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? If you want to hear my secret guilty pleasure of the old, old, old school game that I still absolutely love and you stick in front of me anytime I will play, I still love Scrabble. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. <laughs> Absolute tile junkie, and I will tell you that. But yeah, that's, you know, but of modern games, that's the other ones. (laughs) 
Listen, you two, we have got a gigantic episode. Lena, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I think you're going to make for an excellent uh, addition, an excellent addition to this show. Thank you for joining us and thanks for being a part of this adventure. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be part of this. Let's kick it off here. King, uh, we got the BGA Awards. So you, the three of us, we play on BGA pretty regularly. Lena, you taught oh me how to play for a shuffle on there. BGA, Board Game Arena had their first ever BGA Awards. And I'm not going to go over all the nominees, but it basically, there's 700 games on there. And they had a list of like eight nominees for each category. And you pick one that's going to win. And you know what? Frankly, I feel like the winners were kind of like... Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Like if you go down like best games of uh, of 2024, for example, it's going to be a smaller list. It's going to be kind of narrow. Like there's three that really stand out in the, I don't know, we'll say Euro game category or in XYZ category. This was like, man, you've got this gigantic list to pick from. And some mm-hmm. are like, well, duh, that's the winner. <laughs> do you have it up, Scott, or am I reading these? Uh, I do not have it up. All right. Let's do number right, one. Best. Um- Scott, can uh, you get it up? Can you get it I, up? I didn't know if there was one here or not, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, King. Number one, we've got the best casual game, Ticket to Ride. Well, actually, it was Ticket to Ride Europe won that one, which, okay, Ticket to Ride. We got the best regular game, which I guess that means not super heavy, like this is a gamer game. That was Heat, Pedal to the Metal. Best expert game, so now we're talking a heavier game. Any guesses? Well, I'm I trying to remember it. <laughs> I want to say I would feel like Carnegie or something would be in there. Heavy game that's extremely popular and also happens to be on BGA. Come on, you two. Lana, you're losing your cred. Yeah, say it. Oh, I was, it's Ark Nova. Yeah. Oh, you, you have it in front of you? Oh, that I doesn't have, well, count. Well, to be fair, I already had it memorized because I read the list when the day it came out and I was very excited to read it. So oh, wonderful. I didn't even need to check it. Yeah. Do you want to keep the list going? What do we have for best two-player? Had Sky Team looks like it was the best two-player award. I, that was a fun one. I, I enjoyed playing that with uh, with both of you. We played this. Yeah. The next one was the best forest game, which actually Earth won. Surprised me. That was the one I was actually. I think you said you were surprised on that too. Yeah, I, I, I figured it would be Forest Shuffle because it's got forest in the title. Earth I isn't a forest. forest <laughs> I mean, when I look around Earth, like it's mostly ocean. It's the best ocean game. It can't possibly be the best forest game. What the hell is the best forest game? King, you're rubbing your head. I can tell. I know. You got I know. Angst. This is like whenever you're watching football and they have like this like ridiculous stat about. Well, he's usually 90% on the first Mondays of the month whenever it's a full moon and it's partly cloudy. <laughs> I mean, why narrow it down to best forest game? Come on. <laughs> it was a little random. I saw that when I was – I voted on these and I saw forest game and I thought this is a weird category. I think like, they were shooting yeah. for like nature theme. They should have said nature yeah. theme and then Earth would have won. Then you know, Earth, the, I would have Because then Ark Nova would have won again. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Notably, Wingspan isn't on any of these, and Wingspan's on BGA. I know, maybe yeah, because Wingspan's kind, been kind around a for a little snow. bit. And they have one more on there, kind of a ridiculous one. It's the best uh, of the BGA, like, I guess the people behind the scenes. They got to pick one, and what did they pick? Gizmos. Okay, have you ever played Gizmos? I, I have not played Gizmos. Have okay, you played you it? said that like a uh, Gizmos. Yeah, Gizmos is a great little engine building game. That's yeah, a I fun one. Yeah, I was looking at fun. it, and I'm like, this does not look familiar. I need to try this one out. It looks awesome. <laughs> Just on the cover. It's one of those ones, nice, simple, very easy to get into, and it just kind of like you have that 30 minutes, 45 minutes you want to play a game where you think a little bit, but not really racking your brain. Perfect fit for it. 
Let's run down a list of some of the stuff that I caught that's coming out. It's on uh, on Kickstarter live right now. Things that are happening. Earthborn Rangers Second Edition is live. We talked about that one in the best of 2024. Brass Birmingham apparently getting a sequel later this year. That one I don't understand how you can really do a sequel. I mean, we got Lancashire, we have Birmingham. Is it going to be uh, Brass Liverpool? Uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> well, know. It makes me wonder because when you think of Birmingham, it's almost like a map pack to Lancashire. It's it's very much the same game with just a, a different right. layout, and you incorporate beer as like a, a needed resource. It could. It's it's almost like a module. It's like a module to the game. Whenever I hear sequel, I think. This comes after the fact. Maybe it's uh, after the revolution or or maybe it's just another map pack and the word that they chose to use was sequel. But I saw that one likely launching in Q4 this year. That's got me excited. This one, Scott, you and I are going to have. Oh, my we're going to have it. We're yes, going to hold we it. We're going to cradle it like a baby and then we're going to go to war. <laughs> Renegade yeah. Games has pre-orders up for a G.I. Joe game using the Axis and Allies system. Holy crap, it's like they listen to the show, they're like, what can we make that King and Patrick are going to just go bonkers for? Hey, you got G.I. Joe and my Axis and Allies. No, you got Axis and Allies and my G.I. Joe. Two great tastes it's that gonna, taste great together. Oh. Boom, boom. I just I heard this name and I thought, this just screams both of you. Like. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want them to have basically Axis and Allies, but all the figures are G.I. Joe and Cobra figures, but I want them to incorporate like unique figures. Like you can have a, a Snake Eyes on the table or Duke on the table. Mm. No, don't put – don't take a Duke on the table, the character. I, <laughs> I want that to happen. Give some like unique things that you can put into the game. Oh, that would be I have very no cool. idea what to expect, but I'm really excited to play it. Yes, very much so. Thunder Road Vendetta has Carnival of Chaos and Maximum Chrome coming back to crowdfunding. So Maximum Chrome they had before. That's their like all decked out has all the add-ons and expansions edition. They apparently also have Carnival of Chaos, a new expansion that they're adding to it. You can get them both on crowdfunding, I think like in a week or two from the time this airs. I didn't I didn't write down the date. I'm sorry, Adventurers. I failed you. No, hey, hey, hey. We're giving them the the foundation in which they can build on. <laughs> we're we're teaching them how to fish. Help us help you. That's what we're doing here. One more on the list, Altered TCG. This is a this is a trading card game, right? It's uh, a la Magic the Gathering and Lorcana and whatnot. We got a new one, and it's called Altered. And this thing, I, I wasn't going to put it in the news. So I was like, well, well, the banter or whatever. I was like, well, who cares? It's another TCG. It's going to die in two years. But it's available on BGA, so you can play mm-hmm. it right now. Just play it online and sample it. And this thing has raised over a million bucks at the time wow. of recording. I'm looking down the pledge levels and like one of them is you can get like eight cases of booster boxes. It's a $5,000 pledge. There's 70 people that pledge to it. Oh. Now, I'm, I'm guessing there's stores. Don't get me wrong. But this thing is uh, – there's some buzz going for it. Altered TCG. Did you get a chance to play it? Nope. Did you try it out? I tried it out. It was it was not too bad. As a person who likes TCGs, mm-hmm. it wasn't too bad. I haven't fully decided if I'm going to commit to – trying it out yet like on the kickstarter might not back it at the five thousand dollar level probably not (laughs) there's a lot of things i could do with that but i did put it on my save list and i'm sitting there kind of watching it going well i might want to try it out but like tcgs are hard that you know is it going to die in two years like you said or is it going to keep going that's the problem they all have the magic the gathering pricing right four bucks Mm -hmm. for a pack roughly but they don't have the 
there's a secondary – like an established secondary market. Yeah. It's really hard for me to spend Magic the Gathering booster pack money for a booster pack that doesn't have Magic the Gathering cards in it because if it's a fun game and it doesn't get a tournament scene and it just dies on the vine, I'll be able to get those packs for 50 cents. Scott, what's the place that you get the wholesale crap uh, from? Hills Wholesale Gaming. You can get booster boxes of dead games for like five bucks. hidden gems ever. So is this like a national thing? If I'm listening, all right, and I'm in Oregon, can I – like is this an online thing or is this something local to us? Because you said their warehouse is out here. and he will ship to anywhere. Highlander, My Little Pony, any of these oh, yeah. Austin Powers. I was looking through – they have the Austin Powers card game. I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, baby. I think whenever it used to be the Pittsburgh Comic Con – where they were teaching people how to play, and they were giving you a starter deck. And I got to tell you, that game, you cannot play that game and not giggle. <laughs> I mean, it is stupid, but it does have enough laughs in it to keep you there for a little while. This is one I have to play for adventures. So, okay, I was down the YouTube rabbit hole again, and I found this guy. He takes, like, popular songs, but then he meshes in the sounds, uh, like, from a movie clip. So he'll take an actor sing a line like... Get off my lawn. But he'll auto-tune it. So he's saying it like to the tune of, I, I don't know, a Beyonce song, right? So, okay, just, just listen to this. Get in my belly. I'm going to eat you. Get in my belly. My belly. I mean, I'm going <laughs> to eat you. I love that. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I'll, I'll put uh, I'll, I'll put the guy's info in the show notes because some of the stuff that he does is absolutely – some of it's really talented, but some of it's absolutely hilarious. King, you got a couple on here, and then I'll wrap up the banter. What you got? Well, a couple things I had here. I saw that for years. I've never played it. I've always seen all these ads for EVE Online. It looks like this huge space opera type, type of video game. Mm -hmm. Well, they decided they're going to jump in the whole sandbox here with uh, a tabletop version. Much like uh, Last Light, they're trying to give you a 4X game in two hours. They're trying to capture people that don't want to sink the time in for Twilight Imperium or Eclipse to get that same feeling in a shorter amount of time. So okay. it looks pretty cool. I liked it. I, I have it saved there that I, oh, I might have to go back and check it out. But it does look really quite cool. This looks excellent. How did I miss this? I don't know. So they got half a million raised, 2,000 backers. By the time you're listening to this adventure, she got just over a week. Eve War for New Eden. Look at all those ships you get with yeah. the little stands and stuff. And they're all so unique. Each hour and each, a half uh, to three hours. Two to four players. has a unique look to them. Oh, look oh I like this. Ooh. <laughs> I am intrigued. Oh yeah, this 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 looks right up my alley. This has to happen. Mm -hmm. If you don't back it, let me know, King, because we'll, we'll okay. figure it out. Oh, it's got an expansion box too. <laughs> oh yes, undoubtedly well tested expansion to their Kickstarter game. <laughs> oh, there's another one. Ah, oh, yep, we're in. We're totally in. What else you got, King? Well, and the other thing was, I got this email just out of the blue, and I'm like, uh, Dominion. Oh, is it something with my gas bill or something like that? And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I open it up and, well, Dominion has an app now to play Dominion on, on your phone. Okay. And I download it. It's free to play. It doesn't have the ads, which is awesome. And just jumping on there and playing it, it was a blast getting back to playing Dominion again. 
say what you will about that game. It's it's phenomenal. I loved it. The original deck builder, and it's still, I think it still holds up pretty well. The only problem is it takes so long to set up and sort cards and whatnot. If you can play mm-hmm. it online, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to yep. do any of the shuffling. You just play the game. Now, that's does, the only... Ahead, I was, was, was going to ask, does it have the expansions and whatnot? It's like you read my mind. You can actually pay for a por- portion of it, and it'll give you all the expansions. Okay. So similar to like uh, Star Realms does that. The app is free. And then if you want one of the 38 different expansions, you can piecemeal them or whatever for a couple bucks a piece. Well, I but think this one, you're saying you- one price, get them all. I believe so, yes. Okay. Simon took over Hell and Enestir, two of the games that Mythic has had in the works. So Mythic, famously, they have a, what is it, six siege and whatnot. They basically, they got all this money from Kickstarters and they haven't delivered, right? So Simon took over Hell and Enestir, A-N-S-T-Y-R, for uh, people that backed them. They're taking it over. They've determined that the games in their current state are nowhere near ready for release. So they're going to rework them a bit. Their deal was like, okay, at this point, if you backed a Mythic Kickstarter, I have some bad news. You ain't getting it. Uh, I heck, I just got Darkest Dungeon in because Miniature Market had it at like like fire sale price. So I got the whole game system. It was probably two twenty five to get it on Kickstarter. Got it for like a hundred bucks through Miniature Market. It's supposed to be really good, but the reviews on it on on BGA are just like terrible, terrible, terrible. And it's all like rating the company, which which is fair, you know. It, it, I, I, people are free to rate games however they want. Nevertheless, Anastasia and Hell, the Seamon's going to be doing them now. And if you pledged to either of those games, what happens to you now? Well, if I pledged for a base game, or I pledged for a base game and expansion, or I went all in for hundreds of dollars, no matter what you pledged to, you will get one standard core box from Seamon, which is... It's it's it kind of sucks if you did go all in because Mythic got your money, but hey, at least they're giving you something, right? Uh, just thought that was newsworthy, and uh, boy, Mythic can never can never show their faces in the industry again. Well, they still got money, my money yet, so waiting for Monster Apocalypse. Monster Apocalypse. Which, yep. Yeah, at oh, this point, I almost hope that uh, on that one. I'd almost hope that like a Simon or someone takes that one too, and it's like, all right, look, I know I'm not getting it. And someone else take it over so I can get something. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. All right, guys, we got a gigantic episode today, so we got to get things rolling. Let's get right into recent adventures. Lena, you're the guest. You got the floor. Tell me what you've been playing. I just picked up Mlem. Yes. Flesh. Mlem. M L E M. It was just released this month. So January 2024. But- that was last month. Yeah, I realize that now. I was like, when you're <laughs> in February now? Um,. <laughs> It is not January anymore. Uh, it was released last month in January 2024, published by Rebel Studios designer Ryan Knizia. Reiner. And what did I say? Oh, it's Ryan. That's okay. <laughs> Reiner Knizia. <laughs> Malem is an easy to learn game about sending cats to space. Mm-hmm. We're talking like far taking place in the future and the felines have taken over the world and now they're going to conquer space. So basically, you load your rocket up with all of your little player's cats. You have eight total to pick up from. And each mission, you're sending a cat to space and hoping to drop them off to explore somewhere into outer space. Each person takes turns being the commander of the rocket. You roll dice. You move your little rocket up this cute little adorable space playmat that is all cat-themed of everything you can imagine. And then slowly you lose your dice along the way 
kind of reminds me of burning your fuel until mm-hmm. you either safely land all the cats on the planets or moons of their choice, or you crash your rocket. If you get 11 rocket crashes, game over, or if someone drops off all eight cats, end of game. Whoever got the most points from their cats exploring space is the winner. I love the theme of this game because we have cats and we have space. Mm-hmm. I'm in. <laughs> well, the first uh, thing that jumps out, I yeah. took a picture of this one when we were at, uh, at PAX in Philadelphia. I took a picture of the cover. I was like, I need to know what's going on in this game. I knew nothing about it, but we showed up at SCG. They had it for 30 bucks with the promo. I was like, okay, yeah, for 30, I'll find out. And if I hate it, I hate it. Tell me, what are your thoughts? I saw you playing this at the meetup in Latrobe we had last week. What's going on in Malay? Like, did people enjoy it? Did you like it? Did, what, put it, get us around the table. Everybody who played it really liked it. It was really quick and easy to learn, which was nice and refreshing. And being the person who is usually trying to teach everybody else how to play the game, it was kind of nice to just say, here's some rules. Here's some things. Let's just go. You know, it'll make more sense as we go along and Mm -hmm. roll dice and we'll go from there. (laughs) And so there was a nice element that it was really easy to learn. And everybody loved it because they're looking at the playmat going, oh my gosh, is that planet a fishbowl? Oh my gosh, is that planet a yarn ball? They're looking at their cats and they're going, okay, I'm going to send this cat to space. Oh, wait. And there's this really neat, you're still playing against each other. But there's a little bit of a cooperative element that at some point you're all trying to get your cats into space. So you're kind of trying to work together a little bit to at least get them further into the planet, you know, onto the planet, onto the moon. So I think people really liked that because they still felt like they had their own element of this is my little cat space organization that I'm trying to you know, send off to space and trying to land here. I'm going to try to land on this moon. I'm going to try to land on this planet. But I'm still trying to get more points than you. But hey, look, we're both trying to get to that same area. So, hey, what do you think about? Okay, yeah, roll that dice. No, save that one. Use that one. So it's really nice that there's this balance between the two of them. Everybody gets a good laugh out of it. I mean, the artwork is just silly and adorable, quick, easy to learn. It was easy to play. Everybody got a kick out of it. I knew it was a hit in my house because I taught it to my teenagers too. When my not as much of a gamer teenager the next day was like, we got to play that again. We got to get these cats to deep space. <laughs> now, this is a push your luck game whereby you're, you know, the longer you stand that rocket, the, the more likely you are to roll the dice and not get the symbols next to the space that basically say you can keep going. The rocket crashes, it blowed up, your cats are gone. Basically, the structure of a turn, everybody gets to put a cat onto the rocket and load up the rocket. It's not just the, the, the main players. So one player is going to roll the dice and at any point, at any stop, as you finish rolling and allocating which dice are going to move the rocket, players can go around the table saying, "Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna disengage here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna depart this rocket. And I'm gonna stay on this planet or this moon or what have you." Uh, I understand for a push your luck game, this lacks some of the tension. I think push your luck. I think like, man, I'm either gonna like win big or lose it all on this next step. And I understand this one plays it a little safely. Did you find that? I think so, and I kind of think that's what some people kind of liked about it because there's still an element of okay so some of the cats even have this little safety so one of the cats has a parachute Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a nice little cat to know if you put that on there no matter where it falls you can probably land safely on a planet so it gives you that little bit of that safety cushion there and Mm -hmm. then one of the nice things is that if the rocket crashes it's not just poof you know sayonara kitty it's you know that cat comes back to your board so you still get a chance 
to try to send that cat back out again. Now, what you're fighting against is the 11 rocket crashes. So it's not just going on and on and on over eight cats, you know, trying to get onto there. You eventually, you know, will crash the rocket. So there is a nice spot that, and then if you decide to get off, it's not an all or nothing. You know, some push your, push your luck games, like you said, it's, oh, when you're done, you're done. This, at least you either get to bring your cat back to your little space base station, or you get to say, I'm going to land them on the planet here before we crash off. So there's a little sure. bit of a not just, oh, now it's gone and all my cats are goners off in deep space and they're ripped cats. Like, it's a nice little, like, <laughs> a little bit safer, you know? <laughs> all in all, pretty good value. Games like 30 bucks or less. Nice production, quick play. Most people are going to be able to learn it in no time. Exactly. I was surprised how much, I, which, you know, you get this nice little neoprene mat. You got cute little point markers. They're all cat's toys. So for the price I paid for it, I mean, fantastic deal. I know I've talked enough of this that my wife's not really a big gamer. She seemed to really enjoy it. She told me when she left, she said, we need to add that to our game collection. So you got permission. Go. Whoa. <laughs> Go get it, King. Well, that uh, well, I bought Kootenai Horror instead. So had I known that. <laughs> you would have had to have purchase both. Day, you know. <laughs> All right, King, what's been on the table? Well, with the play going on, lots of rushing to get lines shoved in my mind and everything, I just had enough time to go back and revisit a game. So you talked about, uh, was it Red Cathedral? I did. We're going back to Devere and with Lacrimosa. And this oh, was designed nice. by Gerard Asensi and Ferran Renalias. And, and Ryan Kanitza. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to live it down. Nope. I glanced no, it, over and, here, you know, looking at my notes. <laughs> it's designed by Jerry Ascension and Ferrari Reynolds. <laughs> Jerry Ascension uh, <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is dead. His last conscious action on his deathbed was composing the lacrimosa movement of his Opus Requiem. You, as one of his sponsors, will meet with the widow in order to participate one last time in the funding of the works of the Austrian genius. So what you do in this is you take the role of a patron of the late musician. So you contribute with your findings to the composer's works one last time. During the game, you play in two different timelines, the present and the past. In the present, you commission the missing parts of the Requiem from other composers to complete it, when developing past events, the game takes place in five eras. Era. No, that's that's okay. not our thing. Okay, very good. <laughs> Adventures, we love the secret cabal. And that, that's sort yes. of Steve's thing, is, uh, Spang's thing is era. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, it's uh, what you're doing is you go on different journeys. You uh, talk to other composers to sell or exhibit the works. You travel through Europe going to different courts and theaters to get things to complete things. Now, it's been a while since I... Wait, to I get things to complete things. <laughs> That's the, the technical that term. Mean? That's the composer term, you know, right there. <laughs> yes, you get resources to complete uh, different works. Now, it's been a while since I've played anything, and also a while since this has made it to the table. So, I was super excited when this first came out. I grabbed a copy. This game almost gives you too many choices to make during the game. 
Will you travel to different cities in order to track down the composers or get money to pay for your journey to be Mozart's top patron? Will you perform to get money? Will you have the composer add their touch to a final piece of music? All these different things that go on. You have a total of nine cards that you can play each round. Each turn, you're going to play two of those cards. Now, each card has a top and a bottom, and this is where the decisions really come into. Will you choose the top part of the card to use its action to create one of the works, to travel throughout Europe, to uh, write down the memories of uh, Mozart? But then the bottom will allow you to get resources to help you continue your journey. So you might have something like, I really need to travel in Europe, but I really need to use this bottom here to get the money in order to make the travel. So which part am I going to use? Which one's going to work out best for you? So it, it really makes you think hard what you want to do. The nice thing with this is there are five rounds in this. So it has a finite period. It's not going to be a race to get to a certain number of points. So everyone kind of feels like you get a full game out of this. It's not mm-hmm. like um, whenever you're playing, we'll talk about later on with Ticket to Ride. Whenever you get down to who's down to the last two trains. Well, if you aren't anywhere near that, uh, your game's over, whether you want it to be or not. This one, you have that five rounds, boom, everyone gets the same amount of time there. Now, playing this again, I don't know if this has the same fire me to, in me as when I first got it. I still oh, yeah. enjoyed it. I played the solo version, and it did give an, a number of twists to it to, to make it fun. But I don't know. I'm going to have to give it a little while, give it another play, hopefully get it to the shop sometime, play it with some other people, and see if it's going to stay in the collection or if it's going to be moving on. I really don't know. It's... It's right on the cusp here of staying or going. I really don't know. But, you know, we've got to do revisit it when we go to Knoxville. Adventures, we're going to be in Knoxville for Funke Town Convention at the end of April. Look it up. It's going to be a blast. Scott, it's going to be you, me, Josh, Ryan, Jason, Mike, not Lena, because rub it in. She can't. <laughs> but we're, we're going to have all of us there. Like, we're going to be, it's just going to be gaming straight for like three and a half days. And I keep thinking, oh, yeah. man, what games am I going to bring? What are we going to play? This is going to be so part of me is thinking, man, we should just like do a, like go back through the catalog because we already know the rules. It'd be really easy to like, okay, let's set this one up, visit? play it, set this one up, play it. And then that way we could play like eight games a day. Instead of, well, we have to learn this one. We have to figure – like if we – when we did Darwin's at the end of PAX, that was fantastic. Oh, yes. But that took basically all of Sunday. And yep. if we played it again, it wouldn't. It would be like, okay, we know what we're doing or whatever we forget. It will come back really quick. Maybe that's what we do is at least take one of those days and be like, everybody gets to pick a game. There's six of us. If everybody picks one game that they want to replay that they haven't played in a long time, then we could just – well, you just have a little stroll down memory lane. I like that idea. That sounds pretty good. Except you still have to bring this to the shop so I can try it out. Because, okay, okay. You know, since I can't be at, you know, Knoxville because of my own violinist child that's consuming that weekend, <laughs> you know, I figure I might as well play this musician game, you know, this Mozart game. And <laughs> He's totally ruining everything you had planned, but you still love him. Plans ruined, but I still love him. <laughs> All right, guys, I got one on the uh, on the horizon. This one kind of is. This one's like either just now coming out or isn't going to be available for a month. And it requires music. 
Alright guys, I got a ton to say about this one. This is Sonic Roll from Kesco. It's 2024 game designed by Adam Thorpe, who designed Tome, which I recall playing with Bernie and Hungry Gamer and Tate Wu back at Origins. Okay, a blue hedgehog with supersonic speed must rescue animals from being turned into robots by a mad scientist. Dr. Robotnik is an evil and mad scientist who only had one destiny, taking over the whole world. And to do this, he needs to collect all six Chaos Emeralds, which are located on the South Island. Guys, Sonic Rolls is a tabletop game that aims to give you that feeling on the tabletop that we used to get behind a Sega Genesis controller. Let's go from BGG. This is a semi-collaborative multiplayer game for one to four players in the style of 16-bit classic Sonic. Each player chooses Sonic Tails, Knuckles, or Amy to play as as they make their way through four classic Sonic zones. You can challenge a single zone or adventure all four of them in campaign mode. Yes, there's a campaign mode that you can play with. As you traverse these iconic zones, you can save the woodland creatures that evil Dr. Eggman has captured using character-unique abilities to roll dice, to take out obstacles that are in your path, place the dice on these zones, collect rings, power-ups, and chaos emeralds, and defeat the badniks that stand in your way. Whew, mile a minute, just like Sonic. A zone isn't complete until the players face off against one of the bosses from across the Sonic franchise, where they must try to score enough hits to defeat Dr. Eggman and his army before time runs out. Oh, I didn't realize that was going to be so long. Read whatever I copied it from BGG. All right, guys. What's this look like on the table? Each player is going to get a character board with a nice, colorful illustration that depicts their their unique abilities and also their character. We remember Knuckles was the red one. Tails had the, the, the multiple T. Well, you get that. Then you've got to set up the act before you start playing. Like, for example, Green Hill Zone. We all know Green Hill Zone, which, uh, for the record, my most vivid memories of Sonic came from the waiting room of the orthodontist when I was a little kid. Okay, I, I had Super Nintendo, and I didn't know too many kids who had both. Lena, were you Super Nintendo or Genesis? Super Nintendo. Scott? Oh, Super Nintendo, definitely. Okay, all right, we're all on the Super Nintendo. Well, uh, Sega uh, Sega does what Nintendo <laughs> That's That was their magazine. <laughs> I had friends with the Genesis, so I'd go to their place and play it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we had friends with Genesis. We, you know, I, I played my fair share, but for whatever reason, any time I think of Sonic, I think of waiting to go see the orthodontist, which might not be the best of memories. But they had, like, the setup with a Sega in it, and you could, like, hit the button. It would go to the next game, the next game. So I'm telling you what, I could hammer that first level in my sleep because I had terrible teeth and I was at the orthodontist every other week. Anyway, the act card. It's going to have a number of zone cards set up to the left of it, like horizontally, basically. Basically, just depicting spots along pathways that you have to navigate in order to complete them. Usually, it'll be like a specific die face number, along with a bonus for whenever you place a die on that space. So, on a turn, what are we doing? Three main steps. Roll, spend, re-roll. Roll is easy. You pick one of the actions on your board. And they're going to be different for each character. Each character's got a few different ones that they can do. I'll give you Sonic, for example. He's got the uh, that super peel. You remember you holding down and if you pick that one, you get to roll six blue dice. That's a lot more than any of the other abilities in the game. Now, rolling so many dice comes with a drawback in that you have to discard your lowest die. All right, uh, fair enough. Let's roll. You roll. Next, you spend your results on one particular challenge card, completing as many steps as possible as you can. Eventually, you're going to get stuck. So if I pick the first one, you need a four, a four, and then it's got like a bumper symbol and a bumper symbol. That's you need whatever number you place here. The next one has to be the same and the next one has to be the same. Make sense? Totally makes sense. Okay, so you're you're basically trying to fill up the card with the dice in order to complete that specific obstacle. 
then eventually you're going to run out of options, uh, but you'll have a couple of dice remaining and you'll get to the reroll step where you can pick up your remaining dice and go again. When you're done, the next player takes their turn and around the table you go. If you finish challenge card, there's rewards you're going to collect and little bonuses along the way, but you'll draw a new challenge card that's going to replace it. All the while, sometimes challenges, like the little rewards you get, aren't necessarily a good thing. Sometimes it's going to deal out a bad Nick card, which is basically a baddie. And I'm telling you, they're like 16-bit images right ripped right out of the video game. It's perfect. I'm looking it up right now while you were talking about it. And oh my gosh, the flashbacks I am having of Sonic. This is looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, yeah, they captured that. Ooh, okay, well, that's good to hear. So... <laughs> You get these bad Nick cards, they sit next to you, and you get rid of them by rolling red dice. So that Sonic peel out, that's a great ability, but it's six blue dice. You're going to end up getting hit by a bad Nick if he's sitting below you. Anywho, when all the challenge cards are gone, you can square off against the big bad. You flip that act board over, you set up boss pattern cards, which are basically new challenge cards, just like when you're playing the act, and you get ready to rumble. And this is pretty easy. You got to assign dice to the boss pattern cards, just like you did for the challenge cards before. But now you've got the option of disabling various boss attacks by assigning dice to the boss card as well. When a pattern card is cleared, you're going to assign a die to a hit space. And you deal enough hits, you win the game. Okay, so how do you lose? Because I know I used to have to probably play it again and again okay, and well, again. <laughs> you remember how you lost in Sonic? Uh-huh. What happens when you take a hit? I was trying to do my you best. Lose all the rings. You lose all the rings. I know. I was, trying, I was trying to think of my like. I was trying to think of my best gaming. Didn't Sonic make that like boom? It made a different sound. It's been a while since I played Sonic, so. Scott, you said it. You lose all the rings. Mm-hmm. Well, in this game, anytime you use a yellow die, that's a jump, and you'll collect a ring for it. And various little rewards are going to give you rings as well. If you take a hit, you'll lose all of your rings. But what if you don't have any rings left? You lose a life. And if you lose all of your life tokens, if one player does, then all players collectively have lost the game. So this has to have the nostalgic tie-ins. How well do they tap in? I hear you say it, and you can hear the music in your mind. Does it really tap into the Sonic? I think as much as a tabletop game can, I think they do very well, actually. First off, the abilities on the characters, they feel right. Like Sonic having that super peel out, getting all those dice. That's a ton of speed to potentially fly through a challenge card. You know, are are you doing that thing where your eyes are going cross looking at the screen? No. But in the game, the tempo of the game and and the pace at which you're completing the cards, it is much faster. You've got that 16-bit artwork all over the game. The Badnik cards, the rings, the power-up, the tokens. They even have tokens for those little critters that you save, like the little bunny rabbits and crap that go hopping out of uh, uh, Robotnik's thing at the end of a level. Uh, whenever, you, whenever you beat one of the bosses, right? They even have little tokens for that that, that you saw right ripped right out of the video game. Those are like the life tokens of the big bad at the end of an act. So when you hit him, you get to free one of the animal tokens. Very thematic in that sense. But I love this. If you get five rings and you pass a save point marker, if you have five rings, uh, just like those posts in the video game, you can trade in the rings and you get to do a bonus level. Now, anyone who's played Sonic remembers that level where you're on like a globe collecting little blue spheres hunting for a chaos emerald. And they incorporated that here using four by, like a four by four grid of tiles, like a quick little side game that you can do as a bonus level to try and hunt down the chaos emerald. Very well implemented theme all around from the flavor found in the rule book to the imagery on the table to the translation of what each mechanic is representing. I thought they did a great job. Lastly, they had that campaign mode built in. Uh, a, a quick one, though. Four plays, one in each of the four different acts. So you go through Lava Reef and Chemical Plant and whatnot. But interestingly, and I won't spoil anything. Cass actually said don't spoil anything. Pages 29 
through 34 in the rule book, they have a sticker holding them all together. Like on 29 and then folded around to 34, there's a little sticker. Yes. And it says on there, do not open until you've completed the campaign. Now I, <laughs> I did the campaign. I was like, well, I got to know. So I, I sat there and I played four handed solo, completed the campaign. I cracked that sticker off and I followed the instructions, read, I, I followed, I, I did what it said. I, I just got to say it's a cool, cool surprise. It's a cool element that they add to the game, but I can't. I'm not at liberty to say any more than that. <laughs> you want to find out, you got to get yourself some Sonic roll. So it was provided by the publisher, and yeah. I can tell you really enjoyed it a bit. So oh, would you yeah. recommend it? Okay, so I'm loving this one. It's going to be perfect for the meetups. A slam dunk. Scott, you know where we're going to show this off. You already know. PGX, that's, that's a match made in heaven. Absolutely. All that said, let's pump the brakes a pinch. This isn't the second coming of Ark Nova, right? This has a target audience that's going to adore it, but it's likely not for everyone. It's a dice rolling co-op that can be played in about an hour or over, over a couple of sessions if you and your buddies want to take on the campaign. It's a very well done game. Very well. And I, I think most gamers are going to have a good time with it. Now, if you're a fan of Sonic, if you used to wake up Saturday mornings and immediately fired up the Sega, this is probably going to be a slam dunk for you because I had a blast with it. I have yet another question to ask here. Sure. I heard your discussion at the beginning describing it all and everything, and I'd really like to know what kind of mood-enhancing drugs were these people on whenever they came up with the idea of hypersonic hedgehog <laughs> trying to save animals from being turned into robots by a mad scientist? Dude, some of those early video games, the themes are all <laughs> kinds of wacky. All kinds. Of, I, Mario is a plumber jumping on turtles. Like, none of it makes any sense. All right. That's all right. True. Point taken. Point taken. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I feel like this ought to be like one of those Oprah Uma moments here with Carl, Lena, Lena, Carl. Yes, Lena, meet Carl, his trumpeter, and he brings in the top 100 update. Yay, welcome. All right, guys, Prime Movers, Oath Sworn Into the Deep. What is up? Two spots, number 88. Seven games fell, one space. No debuts in the top 100. Top 10 trends. Ooh. That's right. We've got to change. War of the Rings, second edition, is oh. up a spot to number eight. <laughs> Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, down a spot to number nine. That's interesting, considering that Gloomhaven was at one and Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is like the same game in some facets, maybe even better because it's more practical to play. Mm. Down to nine. How about that? Mm. New hype. These games are higher than they've ever been. Too Many Bones is up to number 34. Heat Pedal to the Metal, 46. Cthulhu, Death May Die at 64. Obsession at 70. Oathsworn is at number 88. And Tricarian is at number 98. Let's talk some birthdays. Happy birthday, one year, Decrypto. Azul has been on there for six years. How about okay. that, Lenny? You just talked about Azul last episode. It's like it knew I was here today, you know? <laughs> Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Scott, uh, you know. Now, Scott's, Scott's doing a play. <laughs> so he had a good excuse. Mm-hmm. My, my birthday is this coming weekend, and I was like, well, I'm going to have a Twilight Imperium day. You know, we try and get in two or three a year. This is totally going to be Twilight Imperium. We were having trouble with our sixth player. Brian was in. Brian was totally in until he wasn't in anymore. We're like, oh, crap. What are we going to do? So I was like, mm, I could try this person. Nah. And then I tried Jason. He's like, nah. And then I was like, I'm going to ask Scott. <laughs> He's going to be like, 
I'm gonna do that thing where like you know you have your feet you know like one foot's dangling you kind of look down at the ground and you go, hey, King King will you play the Mentac Coalition Scott. Twilight Imperium's been in the top 100 for six years. How about that? Through the ages, a new story of civilization, eight years. Star Wars Imperial Assault, nine years. Mage Knight, the board game, which I hope to speak to in an upcoming episode, 12 years. Kind of waiting until we level back. Twilight Struggle, 18 years. And Puerto Rico, 22 years in the top 100. How about that? That is a long time. That might be the longest one that we reference. That was one of the first games I ever played, like Euro games. Mm-hmm. That's that takes me way back. Well, how about we take adventures way back as we go to the old West for today's review game, Ticket to Ride: Legacy Legends of the West. King, you're busy with the play, so I'm not going to make you do the walkthrough. I don't really feel like it. And Lena, you need initiated, so you do the walkthrough. Do it, pledge. by Rob Davio, Alan Moon, and Matt Leacock. Ticket to Ride Legends of the West is a 12-game legacy campaign in which players will make decisions that shape the story and the map, ultimately concluding with the end of the campaign's story and a completed, playable, unique copy of the game. Now, there may be some spoilers in the walkthrough, but they'll be minimal as I'm just trying to give you a basic idea of how to play the game. At the beginning of the campaign, players are treated to a storyline involving Mama O'Connell, a ruthless railroad tycoon who's out to rule the industry. Some starting components are dealt out, and the first game of the campaign begins. The first game is played just like Basic Ticket to Ride. Draw train cards and play them to create routes between cities with the ultimate goal of completing ticket cards for points. But notably, the map is strictly the east coast of the United States. This game and the ensuing campaign also incorporates an event deck. This is a simple deck of cards that will affect gameplay when a newspaper card is drawn from the train deck during play. Play will continue until one player is either out of train pieces to place on the board or is down to their last one or two. At this point, the final round is triggered and the game ends after that player's next turn. Scores are based on coins collected during play through company cards and events, plus player score points for completed tickets, and the high score is the winner. So this is a legacy game, and that means modifying the board, the cards, and anything else they can think of. We'll get into these campaign changes more in Bit 5 shortly, but what you need to know basically is that each game, the map will grow larger, new tickets will be added, while some old ones will be removed, new event cards are incorporated, and new rules are introduced, though generally any rules added to the game were easy to understand and only lasted for the next game or two. At the conclusion of game 12, the story is concluded and the campaign comes to a close. This now unique Ticket to Ride board has its own set of rules for future play, even after the campaign has concluded, so you can continue to enjoy it for years to come. One of the best board games of all time got the legacy treatment, and we met up weekly for the last month and a half, laying tracks and punching tickets. Did it exceed our expectations? Let's find out in the 8-bit breakdown of Ticket to Ride Legacy Legends of the West. It's the late 19th century and America's booming. New train companies compete to satisfy the needs of a growing population. Merchants, officials, food and goods need to travel from one place to another. An intricate network of train lines has appeared. Thaddeus Reeves is one of the young entrepreneurs dreaming of connecting the entire nation and succeeded beyond his wildest dreams. 
Reeves Rails quickly established lucrative train routes from the Atlantic to the Mississippi, and the company's future is bright. But greedy rail barons are looking at Thaddeus' growing rail empire and thinking about how they can take it away. As the years have rolled along, Reeves Rails has continued to grow and thrive. Your new train company is ready to take part in this remarkable industry. Possibility and fortune shimmer off the pane of your newly purchased steam engines, and this new express network should make all the difference. Satisfied, you open the newspaper and read the headlines from out west. For the walkthrough and breakdown of today's review game, Ticket to Ride Legacy Legends of the West. We did it! All 12 episodes of the campaign is finished. Adventures, we're going to break this down via 8 bits, starting with the art and components and finishing with was it fun and who's it for. Now, here's the deal, you two. This is going to be a little bit different because normally we have a, a closed system, one instance of a gameplay where, you know, we're going to explain how it works, but this is definitely different. We've got a whole campaign we're going to go over, so I figure let's save some of the little bits and surprises for, uh, we'll do that in bit number five, the meat of the game, where we'll sort of break down some of the things that it introduces. Finally, before we get this show rolling, Adventures, this is going to be riddled with spoilers. I mean, riddled. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so many spoilers. So uh, if you are interested in playing and you don't want to hear anything that's going to happen, you could probably just skip to the end of the episode. Sorry. Guys, let's do it. Bit number one, the art and components. Uh, Lena, you're the guest. So why don't you give us your thoughts on the art and components of Ticket to Ride Legacy? I really liked the artwork on the game. In particular, as small as it is, I loved the artwork on the train cards. Like, every time I was holding them. And it's small, but it's something big because you're holding those cards the entire game. You know, you're constantly mm -hmm. sitting there holding them and looking at them. And I felt like every time I looked at it, I would glance down at these cards and be like, man... These are just really pretty looking cards. Like, can I get a few of these and put them up on like put them up on the wall or something? You know, I really liked the detail on the event cards too. How it felt like a little, you know, newspaper or something every single time we'd flip it over. And, I think oh, that's what they were shooting newspaper. for. That was nice. You yeah. know, and I thought it was a neat little a neat little idea that they did. The map, I think, was really good. It was nice and big, and it was easy to find for the most part what you were looking for. So that was really nice on the map. And I liked that component-wise, I liked that the trains were bigger than a normal Ticket to Ride, like the traditional classic first Ticket to Ride. I liked that these were a little bit bigger, easier to handle. It made it, I think, going across the board much easier to navigate. And that mm -hmm. they expanded the size of the board from classic Ticket to Ride. Oh, that board is gigantic helped. by the time all said and done, isn't it? <laughs> it was huge. So I like that that components of it. And it's just and the little box they give you to hold all your stuff in. I mean, it was so clever and so cute, I felt like. Well, I shouldn't say cute. I mean, it was really I thought it was really well done, you know, that each train company had their own logo and your own representation and everyone was different you know mine was eerie and it had its own specific look and yours had its own specific look and mm -hmm. then scott's had its own look and tom's had its own you know feel of like this is my train company you know this is not just oh i'm just yellow like no this is my company right here and your logo looks very different than mine i think it was a good point that they did that well, I agree a lot with what Lena said there. The artwork, I think, was bright, very vibrant. I really liked that the trains, each person's trains were unique. Yeah. Yours had kind of like coal cars. 
I like double bumps going on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, mine was kind of like passenger cars. Tom's, I think were kind of like tankers. So each one was a little bit different. So it gave a nice feel, a nice, how how you said it there. Each company felt like its own thing. You Mm -hmm. had all the stickers to put on the board. and, And that was a great little thing there. You had the large cities. That would put on there. And then the extra little bonus they gave you uh, with the little standees of the cities to put out there. That kind of like build it up, gave you a 3D kind of look to. Well, those weren't standees though, right? You had you had the plastic model things that sat yeah, up, like little plastic, miniatures, yeah, that's right? What I meant. I'm sorry. Did that come uh, with the game or is that a purchase separately thing? That was, I purchased it and Steven's just like, here, you get these with it. And so I'm like, okay. Okay. So I took them. <laughs> they were fun. They really brought life to the board. It's like, ooh, yes. look, there's a big city. Ooh, there's a big city. And it was just so unique how you look at it after we're all done and how the East Coast had so many cities and the West Coast, there were only a couple. There were so like it, two. It really kind of gave me the feel <laughs> of how the expansion was going, uh, going across the country. So it was really very cool with that. Everything fit in the box beautifully. Everything had its spot. Different sections for the map came in a little uh, tray. Each part that had the extra cards, the extra stickers, everything that would go along with it had its own little box. It was just really put together in a very concise way. Now, being that this was my first legacy game I've really played, it was a blast. I had a great time doing it. Uh, What about you, Patrick? Your thoughts on it? Before I share some more, I want to ask you a question because you were kind of administering the game. You were the one in charge of like making sure that all the components were in the right place. When we needed new stuff, you're the one that had to get it out of the box. Was that tricky? Was there ever a point where you were like, oh, wait a minute, where is that? Or or did they have that organized in a way that was intuitive and easy to work with? That I'm glad you said that because that was something that I completely forgot about. You have a long box. It has a top on it, fits together nicely, puts all the cards in it. The great thing that they had for there was you had the dividers. So it had the Mm -hmm. dividers for the event cards, for the employees, tickets, for the train cards, for the events. All those things had a separate thing for it. And the great thing about it was they had one called the dead letter office. Mm -hmm. So that was basically where you could put all the stuff that has been retired Yes, you are going to be punching holes in a lot of things. That was the absolute hoot. The first game we played whenever <laughs> we're done. And it's just like, oh, you can't be a conductor if you don't have a hole punch. Well, they have a box in there with a hole punch. I think we laughed about that for far longer than we should have, to be actually honest. <laughs> I'm still laughing about it. Like that moment of it. I have it. I have a picture of it. Like we're like, what is this? And I'm like, it's got to be epic. And I have a picture of it. And hold on. A hole punch. You know, that was amazing. <laughs> so components, but, uh, spoiler yeah, number that- one is that hole punch, isn't it? How like you get the tactile feel of actually like click, click, like you're, you're punching the tickets at the end of a game and it's because they give you that it's a gimmick let's be honest it's a gimmick but oh, yeah. darn it it's a good gimmick it's a good one yes. it really brought in that feel of like being a train conductor you know oh, punch the ticket gotta punch that ticket mm-hmm. but yeah having that box with all the cards and everything in it really made everything much much simpler to as you say look over and uh, administrate over so that worked out very well I love okay. even the name of that dead letter office. I kind of forgot about it because I was never never the one 
putting it into the dead letter office, but I always remember you talking about it. Oh, I was going into the dead letter office, and now that we're talking about it, I'm like, that is such a clever little idea that they, you know, have a spot. Yep, it's going into your dead letter office now. That yes. makes sense. Now, there will be a few more components to go over whenever we get to bit number five, the meat of the game. We talk about some of the things that are introduced throughout the campaign. But before we come off art and components, I do want to point out a couple of things. One, the map board is massive and it fits together like a puzzle piece. And whenever you have to add a puzzle piece, there's little writing on the edge of the board. This is over here is where the haunted wastes will end up going. So it's really easy to figure out where these puzzle pieces go as you're adding them to the board. But it might have been that we were playing on one of those folding plastic top tables. That's what the shop has, and they tend to not be perfectly flat on the surface. But damn, that thing kept on like – if one side was flush and even, the other side was lipped up a little bit. Maybe a slight warping. You know what? It's a minor complaint because that could just be where we're living. It could have been the tabletop. But we did have some issues with the board not connecting together at a perfectly flat level. That's We'll say maybe the uh, the art and component strike goes against my OCD for that yes. more so than, than the game. Um, and also while the artwork I, – I love the artwork in this game. Those boxes in there with the gears and the wheels on them and the old-timey people oh, yeah. all dressed up. That's so – that's so captivating. That really gets me into the theme of the game. We don't see it a lot once we're playing the game. We see train cards, which, while well, they're nice, they're train cards. You see them after yes. after game one. You're like, okay, it's a train on a card. Um, and we see the map. And that's predominantly what you're going to be looking at. Uh, it's not a game that's going to have like multiple stories with multiple images. It's, it's, it's a mechanism forward game. But there is an attempt to implement a theme going on in this one. So throughout the campaign, we've got Mama O'Connell being a total railroad bitch. <laughs> and that's about all i know about the th okay so realistically so after each game a new concept basically a, a module is going to be added to the campaign the theme of what you're doing is tied into the mechanisms of that module oh you know the stock market is a thing now we're going to introduce stocks into the game <gasps> there's a robber and here's why and there's a ghost train from oh who was the guy that mama o'connell killed early in the campaign tom something or whoever we're going to call him carl so Carl died, <laughs> and then there's Reeves. this ghost. Something Reeves. It Reeves, was Reeves. That's what yeah, it was Reeves. Reeves. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but while the theme is there and they try and incorporate some story, it didn't really captivate me. So it's hard to get immersed into it. And I think maybe the biggest hiccup for me with theme is when you get a postcard, it has one side that says, read this side out loud. And it's neat. It gives you a little story. It tells you about, oh, you know, this is something that could happen. But the other side that mechanically you may apply in the game, only you know about and only you can do it. So the other side is just like some generic story for other people to hear. You can't glean any sort of, a, I will say, a competitive idea of what you're supposed to do or any sort of strategy based on that. It, you can kind of tell where the story's going. I thought it was kind of light. I didn't mind that, but I thought for theme and immersion – It'd be like buying base ticket to ride and expecting to get sucked into the railroad theme and feel like you're on the caboose. I didn't get that. Uh, why don't we go to King for this one? Theme and immersion. I never really at any point in time felt I was a railroad tycoon. I was putting out tracks in order to put my tickets together to get points to finish things that I like goals that I had with those postcards. But there right. was nothing that really got me immersed into the whole idea. That saying, though, there were fun things. Like you said, the ghost train. Whenever someone would finish that white train, up, oh, we got to roll the ghost train. Then mm -hmm. you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Is it going to hurt us? Is it going to not? 
and then flipping over Lewistown. Lewistown was a Lewisburg. big one there. That was always Lewisburg. just Lewisburg. <laughs> that was just such a, a hoot with that. I mean, it, it got you immersed in that part there as far as just the gameplay aspect of it, not in mm-hmm. the theme of being a railroad tycoon. But no, I think it was a lot of fun. And as you built out the parts of the map, Cascadia, California was an absolute hoot because <laughs> here we go. There's a disaster. Big spoilers here. In this history, California had the big quake, and California is just a bunch of islands connected by bridges now. Oh, uh, darn. And that was just hilarious whenever we looked at it, and, and we're like, oh, my God, this is great. So they really did think out the idea of the theme of building out this new ticket to ride to make it fun, to make it exciting. So I mm. really do give them credit for that. So as someone who pretty much lived out West most of my life, because, you know, I lived in California and yes, the California dropping off as somebody who's a California refugee and has left the state. Yeah, that was hilarious to see the state finally <laughs> fall off. Lena, and it that's was, terrible. It is terrible. And everybody that I know that it's left California will agree with me. <laughs> I'm sorry for all my friends that still live there. You know, best of luck to you. So, but oh, that is uh, cold. It it is. You know what? I keep telling them they need to move away from that state, but it's okay. Mm. But you know what? But it was hilarious to see that it finally jumped. Was even living there. That was always a joke of like, one day we're all going to fall off into the ocean. You know, we're going to break off from the rest of the U.S. because we're going to get that big one. But aside from the California jokes, as somebody who has lived out west most of my life, and I lived in areas that it was that old westerny feel with the trains and all of that, I think they did well nailing the theme of the old west because i have been to my share of ghost towns and train towns and mining towns and i live not far from this old place called calico ghost town and it was this old mining town an old west town and that is just riddled with where i lived and so seeing it on there it was very like nostalgic of yep that you did well with this old west feel coming across it now with us sort of getting immersed into it, the story getting you immersed, I can see they really tried with the postcards, with trying to get the story going. Ultimately, you're still putting trains down on here and getting them across there. What I think made it a lot more fun for us is that, and what probably will make it fun, and maybe what they were hoping for on the game itself is that you're going to play this game because it's a legacy game. With people you probably like and you probably get along with. Because I feel our group took the effort to make it more immersive. You know, we get a postcard and we're reading it out and we're trying out accents. I mean, Scott does the accents so much better than probably all the rest of us. But we're sitting there, we're trying to get these old, tiny, old Western accents to read it out. So that made it feel a little bit more immersive for us and our group. So I don't Mm -hmm. think I found it very boring. But I could see if somebody's just... If you're not a really outgoing person, it might lack a little bit in that immersive feeling. But ultimately, yeah, we still were just putting trains across the board. But I still think they did get a pretty good job of trying to get the Old West idea out there. One area where the theme does come through for me is when you unlock the next chapter and you have a new box, there's new event cards seated into that deck. When an event comes up that does a thing, 
you know, uh, moving the robber, capturing the robber, rushing for gold, or all the bridges in this area are destroyed. (laughs) Like, the events can make each unique play of a game feel like, oh, wow, this game was different because we got rocked by the events. Now, the event deck is random. You might not see it. Like, you might unlock California, where, spoiler alert, you've got a bunch. Can we all agree to no longer say spoiler alert? I already got that out of the way. So, I'm done saying it. So, when you unlock California, uh, you have these bridge areas where you can... It's basically any other path where you can lay trains. But sometimes an event is going to flip up that says, you know what? If you're on this bridge, any bridge is collected, uh, connected to a was cemetery. What was the cemetery? Cemetery city. Cemetery, cemetery city. city. Yeah. All those bridges, they all collapse. And you have to repair them. There's a downside. That can happen three times in the game or it may happen zero. So you may have a heavier implementation of the theme or maybe you won't. What I will say is it's on par with base ticket to ride, mechanical immersion. You're interested in seeing what the next card to flip is going to be. And that kind of transitions us to complexity, which is kind of on par with base ticket to ride. King? Yeah, I agree. It's ticket to ride. Now, I haven't played anything other than the base ticket to ride, to be honest. So I don't know if they've implemented event cards in any of the other expansions or anything like that at all. So I'm looking at this as that's a new thing they added. So that was nice. That was something that kind of made it interesting. That mm-hmm. uh, kept you on your toes. Whenever you're flipping over, getting a new train car, oh, wait, there's an event. There's something there that will add a little extra to it. The complexity was handled very well with each time you said, Whenever we complete a year, you have your little section of cards where it's saying what happened, what's going to happen in the next year, the stickers for the rules you would pull out and put those on there. So it wasn't like you're looking through everything at once in a full rule book, trying to find one little thing of rules. You only have the rules that you need for up to that point that you're playing. So the complexity was handled very well, I think. I pretty much said in my notes that I wrote down almost the exact same as what Scott was saying. I don't think it was overly complex, which was kind of nice, and I did not feel overwhelmed. And if you pick up that rule book that we had at the end of the campaign, and if you looked at that at the beginning, it probably would feel overwhelming. What are you talking about? A robber? This, I gotta pay Mama O'Connell. I gotta have this event. I've got a circus. (laughs) What are you talking about? But the way they added in... You know, a little bit. Okay, now you've got ports, and now you've got the circus, and now you've got a uh, ghost train. All of these things. Now you got to look for treasure. Adding it in a little by little made it bite-sized and easier to handle. And so if you're familiar with Ticket to Ride, you just kind of jumped into the first game and was like, yep, I know what I'm doing here. All right, a few rule variations. I've played a couple of the Ticket to Ride expansions. I haven't seen the events and ones that I've played, but I haven't played a ton of them, but I have played beyond base Ticket to Ride. And they do a few different things in each game. It was nice that they just kind of added on a little by, you know, little by little. And the rules, I think, were very clear because I never really had to sit there and pick up the rule book myself, I don't think I hardly touched it at all. I was able to have one of you guys explain it and say, this is the new rule we're adding on. And I said, okay, I might have asked for a clarification here and there. Wait, what does this do again? And that was that. So that was nice, because I think that helped get the flow of the game going really well, that you didn't sit there going, wait, what do I got to do now? What do I got to do? There wasn't a lot of checking the rule book, that's for sure. Well, this benefits from the... Guys, when you play a legacy game, what ends up happening is... After each game, you end up with some amount of drip-fed rules. 
you're going to have some new thing incorporated that's going to add a new rule. And there are some legacy games where six, seven games into it, you have drip fed, you know, six, seven new rules. And suddenly you've got a pretty complex game going, which this mitigates that risk because each of the modules, uh, it's not like game long rules. It's more of like adding on a module. They all have a built in expiration, uh, an expiration date built in. Like whenever we unlock the train. Uh, or not the train <laughs> when we unlock the train when we <laughs> unlock the circus eventually those stickers run out and it is done the stocks eventually run out and they are done the gold rush is one game only so you're never going to play that game where you have to be mindful of the circus the stocks the gold rush the earthquake like there's only a couple of things beyond base ticket to ride mm -hmm. that i think you ever have to concern yourself with which makes the complexity kind of easy let's get to the rule book king again you were kind of in charge of implementing the game for the table you were you were emceeing this thing what do you think of the rule book it surprised me whenever I first read it because they just had big letters. Even if you're familiar with Ticket to Ride, read the rule book. Mm -hmm. So it made you a little bit worried with things. But no, once you got into it, you're like, this is Ticket to Ride with a little like KFC, the 11 herbs and spices acted added into it. <laughs> um, so it was the first game you play it. It's Ticket to Ride. Second game. Okay, we're going to add a little oregano. Third game, can you tell we're recording around lunchtime here? Uh -huh. um, it's that time. <laughs> but it was really very, very simple. I loved putting in the stickers to find out what the rules are in a way that made it fun. You're looking at it, okay, we have this, we have this, but there's this open space in the middle. What's that going to add? Something's going to be what added here. What's that going to add? And it was just made kind of made you want to play it more. So I liked what they did with the rule book. I think it was very well done. Well, Lena and I are going to take the learning curve then, which is where you, where Lena, as you know, we break down like, how hard is it to get into this game when somebody teaches you? Is it hard to understand? How long until you're competing and building strategies? What do you think about the learning curve of Ticket to Ride Legacy? So similar to what we were all just saying on sort of the last points was I think the way they eased you into it was really well done. Each section, they added a rule or two without hurting your brain, without making you go feel overwhelmed. So you could just get in there and be like, I know Ticket to Ride. I know this. Great. I've got an extra rule added into there. And so I thought it was clever that they added on the new rule, making it easy to understand. And also when we touched on that, they retired some of them. You know, they went to the dead mm. letter office. The circus mm -hmm. is done. That's, I mean, we kind of talked about it, but I thought that was really nice on the learning curve that, as you said, I didn't have to feel overwhelmed with you know, the entire game or even the last six games that we played, I'm not sitting there trying to go, I'm looking for the circus. I'm trying to get circus trains. I'm trying to catch the robber. I'm trying to dig for treasure and I'm trying to pay Mama O'Connell yeah. and all of these things all at once, which could be, I think if they did that all at the same time, it would have felt like too much of what am I trying to focus on this game instead by putting things in, taking them out, putting them in, taking it out. It made it really easy to learn and then move on to the next thing. And I think it helped with that passage of time feel on the game too. Mm -hmm. I think if you've played base ticket to ride, the learning curve here is basically none. You already know how to play this game. If you I haven't agree. played ticket to ride, it's not a particularly difficult game. Uh, if you have a group of gamer buddies and you want to introduce this, you're not going to ruin your whole campaign because the newbie is going to screw up game one. It's easy enough to understand, right? Beyond that, again, the modules, it, with each unlock being more of a module 
than a campaign overarching change. Basically, every instance of the campaign, every game was effectively the same thing. You would just have a little module that's meant to be immediately implemented. You read the rules. Okay, that's what we're doing next game. Then when we would show up next week, we'd be like, okay, quick refresh. Here's what we added. That's the only change this game. Oh, and we still have some stocks left over from the last game. That's still in here. Got it. Got it. Good. And we go. Learning Curve, it helps if you've played Base Ticket to Ride before. If you haven't, I don't think that you're going to run into any issues. All right, you two. The meat of the game, which is where we normally talk about strategically. What are you trying to do to win? What's going to put your brain to task? Now, I feel like we don't have to do that because it's Ticket to Ride. If you're listening, you've probably played. Quick overview. You're trying to connect routes to satisfy tickets. If I have a ticket that says I want to go from San Francisco to Pittsburgh, there's a whole bunch of different routes. I play cards to put trains down. Sometimes there's some deeper strategy with blocking other players. Well, there's only one thing that'll connect St. Louis to Santa Fe, and he really needs that. So I'm going to take that route from him. Ha ha. Strategy, right? That's all here too. But I think what we're going to do for bit number five for the meet is we're going to talk about some of the things that unlock throughout the campaign. And I want to hear what you two thought about them. Okay. In no particular order. Ready? Sounds good. All right. Game starts, base tickets arrive, but we get a company card that rewards us for using cards of a color. And we also have this piggyback rule whereby if a route is blocked, you can always – you can use your piggyback card. And you get to say, you know what, I'm going to take that route as well. And you just bump your trains right next to it. What do we think about that? I liked it. That's a big thing, I feel like, in base ticket to ride, that when somebody blocks you out, man, it is frustrating when you have to reroute yourself all the way around. To hold on to that piggyback card throughout each, you know, each game campaign, each year, each session... It made it a little bit easier to go, okay, it's not the end of the world if somebody goes there or if two people go there. It's much more easier to go, I still have that piggyback card. I can rely on that. And then to an extent, it also, I don't know if it necessarily, I don't know if I dislike that it made it easier, but it did make it a little bit easier compared to playing normal Ticket to Ride to know that, okay, I've got this piggyback card lined up. And then they had that event card that, you could flip it over, take it back, flip it over, take it back. So that kind of added an element in there too. Okay. How funny is yeah. it if if you're like, okay, I'm going to flip it over and get two bucks because when it comes back to me, I'm just going to pay the dollar and I'm going to refresh it. And sometimes we had a few instances where one yep. of us could do it like three times straight. And then there's that, that one time that like – Tom has the opportunity. He's like, okay, I'm going to flip it upside down to get two bucks. I'll just get it back next. And of course, the event changes before it gets back to him. Oh, my Lord. That card was very influential in some games where like somebody could just make a few bucks off of it. No problem. It really was. I was so scared to flip it over every time, though, because I felt like every time (laughs) when we were playing the game that I was like, oh, there's an event that I want. And we'd flip it over and then all of a sudden I'm like, all right, it's almost my turn. I get to do this event. And then, oh, it's gone. It got flipped back (laughs) over. So I was terrified to do the piggyback thing if I was worried. I did it a few times to flip over the piggyback, but only if I felt very confident that I was not going to need the piggyback card. But I did do it a few times, especially early on. And then as the game progressed on later, it didn't feel as worth to pick up the $2. No, no, the two bucks wasn't enough put my, you know, I can put my train down on my color for four bucks instead. So forget it. I'd I'd want to save my piggyback. (laughs) Can you play more Ticket to Ride than probably Lena and I both? So you're familiar with some of the blocking strategies that happen. Would you say that the piggybacking card made it almost a non-factor trying to block someone? Absolutely not. 
I never really looked at it that I was actively trying to block somebody. I okay. felt that the number of routes that were out there, once we got the whole thing opened up, the, the whole map, I don't think it was really that big of a deal because we could spread out with having four players instead of five. There was a lot of room for us to move around that we wouldn't really get in each other's way. The piggyback was just that extra little thing that would, in a, like a Swiss Army knife that you have, they like, you know what? I don't really need it, but I got it, so I may as well use it. It's a nice it's tool a to nice, have. It's a nice thing to have there to add on to it, but I don't think it was ever used a lot. It, it no, wasn't I, one I of those agree. things where the game was based upon whether or not you had your piggyback or not. There, there may have been one time where I had to use the piggyback because I was blocked. I think that map has enough routes between various spots. I think you nailed it, Scott. The map is built in such a way that you're unlikely to end up getting blocked. But I think it's whenever you're first starting out, the piggyback is very important because all those routes are stuck on those, what, first four, five pieces of the map that we have? Yeah. So early Point on being in it's the a game, condensed map. Yeah, it is Especially very on the East important. Coast, yeah. And I think something else to clarify a little bit with that piggyback card, in the train cards, there are, I think there's eight event cards saying there's an event that happens, just peppered in amongst all those cards. So they would flip over, they're shuffled in there, you flip over a card and you would get that, hey, you can flip over your piggyback and get $2 for it, or you can pay a dollar and flip it back over to be able to use it again. Having those event cards in there, it was so frustrating because I know that last game we played, we were getting our cards to begin with, and I'm like, I get three ticket, uh, three trains, an event card. Now give me another train. Up, oh, it's an event card. Give me another train. Up, oh, it's an event card. Three event cards in a row. So if we're actually playing that, and that piggyback comes up, we're we have that breath of like, ah, oh, this is gonna work now, and then that would flip up in the actual game. It's frustrating, but it wasn't game-ending. Playing regular Ticket to Ride on BGA, you look at it and you're like, they blocked me that one spot there. I'm done. My game is over. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no way I can get out of it. There was nothing in this game that I really felt took me completely out of the game. If If I did something a little bit wrong, I never felt completely out of the game at all. There is always a way to make things work. That's true. Soon thereafter, though, one of our modules added employees. And the way that the employees work, they're these blue cards. And you start off with a handful. And throughout the campaign, you're going to unlock new employees at the end of games. And the employees are going to give you an asymmetric ability. Uh, one, for example, is uh, whenever you play on one of the gray routes, you can gain two bucks. One of them says at the start of the game, you get two extra tickets. One lets you discard two cards and pretend like it was a locomotive. For example, what do we think about uh, employees? Good wrinkle, bad wrinkle? We know I loved the portmaster. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a running thing that I that we got the portmaster for what two or three games that I got to use the portmaster. But man, I don't know what it was about that. I just I found it so amusing to just riddle my trains along the coast and just hit the ports. And for those that don't know, the portmaster gave you what an extra one or two bucks every time. And then I'd play the portmaster, and then the event card would come up. With the ports that would get that. And before you know it, I'd hit like three, six bucks every time I'm hitting a port. And they're and all big cities, so, so you're and drawing extra cards. And big cities, so I was drawing cards. <laughs> and I'm like, the East Coast is fantastic. This is the place to be. And I thought it was fun. But it was a nice 
added little element. And it made you think at the beginning of the game, ooh, what is going to come up that I think I'm going to use this? And I feel like every game I really utilized the employees pretty well for myself. Like, I really tried to push the portmaster when I had him. The locomotive guy where you got to discard two, I mean, that was really useful for me. And then there was one game that I had the Ticketmaster where I didn't have to worry about two of my tickets at the end of the game. And boy, that saved me because that was going to be mm-hmm. like 20 bucks, I think, that I was going to get penalized on if I didn't have it. So I liked the employees. I thought they were a nice element, to, a nice tool to help you out there. When you had the one that, Patrick, whenever you had the one that every time you <laughs> laid down a gray, you got two extra oh, dollars. Except that one. <laughs> I was so angry. It broke that game pretty much. I mean, you're, you were you're just- thinking of the wrong one. You're thinking of the wrong one. The gray one that gives you two extra bucks is good, but I I have a diatribe to go off. I think he was the investor who says the investor. In, instead of uh, using a train card, say that you have a section of four and you need red oh, cards. Yeah, you can pay the money. Instead, you can pay two bucks to skip using a card. So effectively, if something is four segments, you could play your trains there for no cards. But eight dollars, mm-hmm. dollars or points, yeah. effectively. Oh my lord! You combine that with some of the spots on this board, you can just okay. So green routes, I would get an extra four bucks because mm-hmm. I was the green company. So literally took that card, and I knew before we even started, I was like I am going to start this game with just paying money and filling out every single <laughs> green route on this board. I don't care if it's and it worked. And it worked on the East Coast. The little one links. Is, okay, I'll pay two dollars. I'll put a train here. I collect four dollars and I draw a card because it's a big city. Next turn, same thing. Next turn, same thing. There's a triple green route. I'll just pay six bucks. I'll connect that one too, and I'll get four dollars back. You know what that is doing? At that, oh my goodness! If we each started that game with forty trains, I was down to fifteen before you guys had each gotten eight played. That's absurd. That card. Mm. I actually, I think that card is broken. I think that card was a problem and it should not have made it past playtesting. They should have had a caveat in there that said, you're allowed to pay one fewer than required. It shouldn't just say, the way it reads, my interpretation, and I think any sane person's interpretation would be, you can reduce the number of trains you need by as many as you want, as long as you pay two bucks per. Mm -hmm. It should be, you may reduce it by one. The minimum cannot be less, like you still have to play at least one card. Because I shouldn't be able to just pay two bucks, connect Pittsburgh to Boston or New York to Boston. I should still have to pay a card even in that instance. But if it's three segments, okay, I'm allowed to pay one fewer card. I still need two cards and I mm-hmm. can pay two bucks for the last one. As written, that card was busted stupid. I'm sorry, King. Uh, you, the floor is yours. But what I was going to say is we are talking about retiring cards. So the nice thing about that was you had that. You could use it. But at the end of the game. Boom, it gets a punch. At the end of the next game, boom, it gets a punch. It's done. It's retired. Mm -hmm. It's no longer in the game. So it was one of those things where it kind of turned the tide big time for one game, two games. But then it knocks itself out with being retired. So that was a nice thing there that you would get something that would be like, oh, I'm going to run rampant on this game here. Now this is going to be great. But you knew there was a time limit on what was how long you were going to be able to use that. Well, the selection of employees goes whoever lost the last game. You're picking them at the end of the game and you're going to put them in your box so that you have it for the next game. That's your asymmetric ability. And the picking order is who finished in last place. They get first pick of employees. They need a big star on the top of that that says, hey, 
This is a compensatory card to help you catch back up since you just lost. Take it because it's so dumb. The gambler. The gambler lets you double a ticket. I thought that one was remarkably powerful because by the end of the game, you have 56 trains to play with. There isn't a ticket in that deck. If you have it in the opening hand, you you there's none of them that you go, well, this is never going to happen because the map is open enough. So the gambler basically says that 24-point ticket, it's a 48-pointer now. So it's going to be worth 24 points at the end of the game. It makes you look at one of the introductory ones that you saw earlier, like get five bucks at the start of play. And you go, that does nothing. That literally Correct. does basically nothing, which is a thing. And the thing should escalate in power. And by the end of the campaign, yes, the get five bucks one is a dead card. But early on when the when the employees were introduced, I took her. She was an extra five bucks. I said, well, we're scoring about 50. This is 10% of my overall score. It makes sense. I need to take a minute. <clears throat> I need to take a minute. And I need to talk about the treasure hunter. <laughs> we're going to segue from employees. I'm going to fast forward to the, uh, what is Sierra Madre? Where were we digging for gold? The Sierra uh, Madre. Yeah, that was, was digging Sierra down Madre? south. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this module gives you a, a deck of basically maps uh, labeled A, B, C, D, E, F. And when you connect a route in the Sierra Madre, you can draw the top card from the map deck. Go you. If you connect a route, however, instead of drawing a map, you can say, you know what? I'm digging for treasure. And the way that it works is you take your train deck and you flip cards off the top, 10 of them. And if you hit a skull, you bust. You didn't find treasure. But if you have a treasure map, you can say, no, that skull doesn't affect me. I'll use my uh, treasure map A. Then another skull flips. Well, I'll use treasure map C because I have that one in my hand. Then another one flips. Oh, crap. I didn't get there. Well, I took this, this treasure hunter. It says, instead of having to flip 10 cards, you only need to flip like six. I was like, well, this is golden. And I have two map segments. Didn't get it. Okay, whatever. Bad luck, bad RNG. Tom, on the next turn, flips through 10 cards, only saw one skull. He's like, yeah, that's no problem. I could do two more. And it's, nope, you're good. Nope, you're good. Nope, you're good. Nope, you're good. And by the time it came back to me, the treasures were all gone. And it was, ooh, huh. That was, that was so upsetting. Treasure Hunter is, I think, a good card, but uh, it's my sworn enemy in Ticket yes. to Ride. I think I was the one who got the last treasure on you, too. I'm oh, pretty yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. No, that's cool. Just rub it because in. Rub it in. <laughs> I absolutely am because I had this little postcard that I had been holding on to, and it made no sense when I got it. I think I got it in the first or second game, and I'm like, treasure? What are they talking about? I guess we'll find out later. And I don't remember how many games we were in, and then all of a sudden the treasure came up, and I was like, oh, it's on now. <laughs> and I saw matters. this, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, now this treasure, this postcard that I got out of the game now it makes a difference because I've collected a couple treasure maps and my postcard had the option that I basically got two free treasure maps out of it. So instead of having to pay for the treasure maps and gain the treasure maps and all that stuff, I also got this extra two bonus ones. So, yep, rub it in point. I was the one who got to finish it off and I sat there and they're sitting there looking all like, oh, is she going to get it? Oh, is she going to get it? And oh, she's out of treasure maps. And I'm like, or am I? Enter up the uh, the postcard that I'm like, I've got two extras right here. I only need like two more. I've got this down. And there went Patrick's sworn enemy of the treasure hunter. And it was, and he was done. Guys, we saw <laughs> the open to... range add stocks, which effectively are a collection of, okay, so you'll have two stocks showing and there's one of each color for basically the train color. So if from the stock deck, there's a green and a white showing, if you connect a white route, congratulations, you take the white stock and you just add it to your, to your vault. Basically at the end of the campaign, you're going to get bonus points based on the stocks. I thought that was nice because it gave you a little incentive to connect your, 
white route, we'll say, or your red or whatever, what, whatever's showing. I thought that was cute for a game or two, though not game changing. A very interesting implementation, though, was the circus, which happened with Florida. King, how does the circus work? Well, the circus, what would happen is whenever you would do, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I think it was I four or more. Three or more uh, or four or more? It was whenever you did a route. Three or more. Three or more or was it four or more? Three or more, you would get gotcha. a sticker. And it was done up in a way of sometimes you'll see in office supply stores where they have those little ring stickers to help paper that you have put in there. You put those ring stickers on there to kind of make them a little bit stronger. So you pull out like or stamps even. You pull thought, out the I thing. I thought of it like whenever you're in the line at the deli and it has that, please take one. Yeah. That might not be a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. People probably do that by an app, but that little stand, it's like, please take a number and you just, just pull it out of there. I was just at the DMV last week and it's still a thing. They have the those DMV little things still, still there. Has <laughs> the DMV still has that. <laughs> wow. But the neat thing about it was you would take a sticker and you put it on your circus train. You had a little booklet that you would open up and you could put in your color stickers. And then you, if you put in all the, your color stickers, you would get a certain number of bonuses on the back, on the back of the thing, putting the stickers on there. Uh, if you filled out a portion of the train with so many stickers, you got eight points. Then you went to the next one. Oh, that's going to be 16. If you keep on going, you could get 32 points from it. It would build up. But the nice thing about it was the stickers were in a completely random order inside that little box. You never mm-hmm. really knew what color it was until you peeled that one sticker off. You pulled the next one out. Okay, it's a red one next. And then you start looking at, I don't really need a red one, so I don't have to worry about that right now. Or, hey, I can use a red. Why not? Let's just go for it. So I think that was a surprising thing there with the randomness of the stickers that you would get in there. So you never knew what was coming up next. Well, you could always see the first one. They made it a point to, hey, you can see the first one, which I thought was neat because then it's like, do I really care if I get a a train sticker this? Oh, I do. That's the one that I need to complete my 32-pointer. I like that. Yeah. So that was was a a very neat addition. And once again, it was for just that one part of the game. So it wasn't like you were going on later on, like, you need to worry about the ghost train and the circus train, earthquakes in California, all these other things. It was just a little extra something to put in for one of the uh, expansions. In. Just a couple more to go over, and then we'll uh, we'll move on to the next bit. But uh, I do want to mention uh, the next two. We have uh, California, whereby there are going to be events that are going to mess with your routes that you've already created. That's the big the big hook of California. So some of those big long routes, New York to San Diego. Well, that's a great route, and it's a lot of points. But you better be holding a locomotive to repair it at the end of the game. That's a factor. And then also the haunted waste, which okay, I. Th- feel like they missed something here, or maybe we did. There's a couple of factors with this portion of the map. It's basically a, a it's like think Nevada, Wyoming, that area of the map. In order to build a train, because this is the Rocky Mountains, in order to build a train, all of your trains have to have that little pickaxe symbol, which I'll assume is one in three train cars, but they also all have to be the same color. So it's difficult to build there. The first person to do so gets a little bonus. Typically a little bonus, seven coin, 10 coin. And I say little, that, that's a substantial bonus, but not enough mm. considering the amount of work it takes and the risk of taking a ticket for that. Mm. And then you factor in this ghost train that is occasionally going to be moving. If you're the one that built there, this thing comes around and it drops a curse on you. 
And the curses aren't good. They're, none of those things were like, oh, well, I can live with that. They were all pretty substantial and you had to get rid of them. And if you don't, they carry over to the next game. I, I just wanted, just for amusement, when are curses good? <laughs> You know, none of them were none of them were negligible. Like there's bad, there's really bad, and there's holy crap, that's bad. They all fit on that tail end of the scale. Holy crap, that's bad. None of them were like, okay, this is annoying, but I can manage it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they didn't have any of those more manageable ones. It was it was a, maybe a missed opportunity, and all that that module did was say this portion of the map. Ignore it. And it was evidenced in our last play. I took a picture yep. of the board. And if you turned the United States sideways so that California is on the bottom and the East Coast is on the top, it almost looked like water, like like the, like the liquid trains dripping down and then going over this big invisible circle in the middle and then filling out California because no one would build there. The, the risk made it not worth even going there. I didn't like that. But I want to bring up Cascadia because this one I thought was really, really cool. And it had an excellent component. Uh, Lena, tell us about Cascadia. It was pretty neat because you opened up, you had this little, I don't know, piece of paper thing. And then it was like a little scratcher, like a little lotto scratcher. And every time you, you know, you connected a route to whatever it was, your main destination on there was, then you got to go, oh, I get to scratch off and get some sort of little treasure on here. And I think there were six options and you could yep. fill up four or five of them or something like that. I got four of them, I believe it was. And you made a decent little extra chunk of change off of there, off of your gold rush on there. And that was pretty cool. The only thing I didn't like on mine specifically was mine was out of, I think it was out of Winnipeg or something. I mean, who was going to Winnipeg? Like, who was up in the north, like, the way north here? And I'm like, what, up by Fargo and all of this. And I looked at this and thought, and I kind of glanced at everybody else's, and everybody else had one that was like, all right, I can work with that city. I can work with that city. And I'm like, what am I going to do with Winnipeg? And somehow I made it work, and I got four out of the five or six that it was on that one. So I was pretty proud that I got a pretty good chunk of it. So the only downside of mine specifically, if you're playing this and you haven't played it yet, you get Winnipeg. I'm sorry for you in advance, but if you cleverly, <laughs> if you can cleverly, you can do it. You can do it. I, I have faith in you. I think that they're designed in a way though, so that you just can't quite do Because my card, I had all these things in the East Coast up and across the North, but then I had San Antonio oh, and no. I had like Los, Los Angeles or something. I was like, okay, one of those has to go. It's just, yep. it's basically impossible to connect them all. So I'm guessing that if you looked at every one card and like dissected them, they all have one that's like, oh, you just ain't going to make that happen. Yeah, mine was coming out of Seattle. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think, the one nice thing on it though was that we did get it. I think it was we got it at the end of the campaign, of the end of one of the campaigns. And so we were prepared for it going into the next campaign, if I'm remembering correctly. So the next year that we played. So it was nice because then you had this idea in mind when you're picking up your tickets and you're choosing your tickets at the beginning of that game that you were able to kind of work with it and go, okay, this one's telling me to go to Fargo and that's right next to Winnipeg. So yeah, I'm going to keep this ticket because that's going to at least get me a little bit closer to this gold rush that I'm looking for. So I think that was nice that you could at least try to plan it out a little bit because if you didn't get that, oh man, that would have been, that would have been really tough, but it wasn't too bad. But I liked the little scratcher. I liked the little surprise element of it. I thought that was fun. The final wrinkle that we had for the final game was tracking down Mama O'Connell, which was done via like a, like a deduction game. 
you're going to find these clues that say, oh, she's within X number from this city and X number from now. I did not partake in that at all. I was just nowhere near and unable to. I think I got to see one of the clues, but it seems like everyone else, the, between the two of you and Tom, were all pretty hot on her trail. What would you think of that last module, King? That was interesting. Whenever you would get the postcard, you would take a look at it, and it's three cities away from Helena. So you're looking at the map and you're basing out one, two, three, one, two, three, figuring out all the different directions it could go to. And then there was another one. It was two cities from some city down south. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like two cities from Chihuahua or something uh, like yes. that. I don't know. It was something like that. It was so something along those lines. So you're looking up at that and then you're trying to triangulate where she could be. And it ended up she was in And I know I'm looking at that. I'm like, well, it's probably no, that's too simple. Why would they pick? They're probably going to pick some little offshoot or some little thing. And Lane is just like, uh, mm-hmm. boom, that was it. <laughs> I was so proud of that. <laughs> I was so proud of that. I, I think what I made what was, I think what made me so excited was that I, I thought about it when we said, this is how you're going to find her. You're going to get these three things. And I think what was it? We had to reveal a ticket. To get the clue, wasn't that? We had to reveal a completed ticket, I think it was. or Yeah, something along yes. those something lines. Something along like that. So we had to complete something. So I looked at all of my tickets that I had that I'm trying to complete. And I very strategically, I had a couple of them that were really short so I could get it really fast. So I got first clue pretty quickly. Then I got the next clue. And then I was like, I've got this next clue. If nobody else gets it, I got all three clues. And by the time I got all three clues, I'm like, I know where she's at. She's in <laughs> And sure enough, she was in <laughs> Like, yes, I was right. I captured her and I got $40 off of this. Yes, I was very excited for that. But that was a fun little element for me. I don't know about anybody else who was disappointed, but I had fun with that. Well, kudos to the design team, because whenever we first got into that last campaign, it's like, if you have already played and completed Ticket to Ride Legacy, and we're all like, wait, what? And then it dawned on us, we're like, oh, so if they already know the answer, there's a different rule set for mm-hmm. how they can do something special in that last campaign. So I thought that was kind of neat. Actually, there are two other sections there as well. So if okay. you played it again, there's another one. And if you played it twice, there's yet another one. Oh, so you can actually – you know what? That's going to segue us right to replayability and variability. So why don't we tap right into it, guys? I'm going to go on a little bit of a diatribe here, and then I'll then I'll give the floor right back to the two of you. So here's how I kind of feel about most legacy games, and in the case of Ticket to Ride, it's no different. There's an excitement leading up to each play, and it is intense. I don't know about you two, but I was spending my week anticipating game time on Thursday because I couldn't wait to see what would happen next, how I would do, what new wrinkle was going to be added, and how would things shake out. And then the moment it concludes, I'm basically uh, uninterested in ever playing again. And that's with every legacy game. By the time I'm done with it, I'm like, okay, I'm done with it. I've, I've done everything. I don't care anymore. Now, let me be perfectly clear. This is not a bad thing. One of the common complaints with the legacy game is that when they're finished, it's basically been destroyed and you can't play it anymore. So what did companies do? They came up with a thoughtful way of creating these games in such a way that when you're finished, you have a version that you can still play and it's unique to you. And I say fooey, Bologna, and horse pucky because I'm never playing that damn thing again. First of all, I would guess that 99% of completed legacy games never see the table. My Clank Legacy, we can play that again. I'm never touching that thing again. More importantly, though, let's use Ticket to Ride Legacy as an example. This game costs 100 bucks. We're just going to go with an even 100 bucks. Four people 
had 12 sessions each, lasting on average, we'll say an hour, hour and 15. That's like 60 hours of fun that this box produced for us. We're talking under a buck an hour per person. That ratio, you can't find anything that's that much fun for that cheap. I had a great time doing this. And for the cost, I don't care if it goes to the bin after 12 games. It's done what it needed to do. Plus, you typically get more memorable moments, I think, from a legacy game. There's plenty of of games that I played five or six times and I'm probably never going to play again. And frankly, I don't remember much from playing them aside from the mechanisms of said game. However, with a legacy game, I'm always going to remember certain things. Lewisburg! I was going to say Lewisburg. Tom never had to pay Mama O'Connell. Scott's laughter when he held up that hole punch. (laughs) We got a picture of him and nothing encapsulates a child's joy like Scott holding this hole punch. That massive treasure hunter fail is going to live on forever. And so many more. I think that's that's what you pay for. I don't care that replayability and, and variability is effectively for me nil because once the campaign's over i am never touching it again i don't care i it did exactly what it needed to do that's my thoughts they're kind of unique and different maybe you two have some different thoughts on a legacy game as far as replayability and variability lena why don't you share i'm in this boat like we talked about at the beginning that's i think scott said this was his first legacy game and this was my first legacy game too so it was a whole introduction of oh there's actually they're trying to ma- i went in assuming that once you play the game it's done like you're not gonna play it again and so i was a little surprised to see oh look you can continue to play this mm-hmm. i'd be curious to see maybe if i had it at home maybe if i played it with you know another group my family or something like that maybe i'd have fun with it but i'm kind of with you like I mean, I like that it felt very replayable as we're going through the campaign. Like, each part, each new unique part they brought on made it fun. Like, and you're just like, I'm ready to come back into this game. I'm excited to see what's going to come at us next. And that was good. And, you know, if we took it out and we're like, you want to play another round? Absolutely. I'd sit down and say, sure. But I'm that type of person that I'll sit down and play anything. But kind of like you said, to an extent, you know, there's nothing that's going to beat that moment for me of being the one to capture Mama O'Connell. You know, like that was my, like, I was so excited about that. I'm like, but that's okay because, like you said, it did what it needed to do. And if we got it out, sure, I'd play it again. I had fun with it, but I'm probably not going to go out of my way to get it. And I thought about it. Am I going to pick this up for my family? And I thought, I don't know. I'd probably get something else because I feel like that's a, a fun time that we had together. And, I'm okay with that. It, it it served its purpose. It was so much fun, though. Scott, you're now the proud owner of a completed Ticket to Ride legacy campaign that you can crack that box open and play your completed game. Are you ever going to do it? I am going to be the complete opposite of both of you. Is that um, right? I play, yes, I play a lot of Ticket to Ride on BGA. I do the arena. I try and get my ranking up there. And I have a great time doing it. And Ticket to Ride is one of those games that draws me back each and every time. I talk about those palate cleanser type of games that you know the rules. Everyone knows the rules. As soon as you go in, you just jump right in and start playing. Those are great games for me. I I absolutely love whenever everyone knows the game rules and everything, you just set it up and play. That's it. There's no learning involved. That's the way it is with this. This here, you have the extra stuff. Now, I haven't gone into it. Whenever you finished it up, you were reading 
All right, now then, you've reached the end of the game. Lift up the bottom part here, and you lifted up the container part of the box, and there are all these extra stickers and everything underneath there. What yeah, ticket to, to ride, nineteen ten. What it's going to lead to, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look at it, take a look at the rules, put the stickers on that need to be put on there, and I'm gonna play it. My brother-in-law loves Ticket to Ride. I love messing with his head more than anything in the world when we play Ticket to Ride. I love finding those routes that he's going for just to put those two in there and go, boop, nope, not going to happen, Brian. I'm excited to bring this out to him and give them this new way of how to play it. And I'm excited to see we played it in 12 sessions. Each one played a little bit different. I'm anxious to see what it's going to be like as a game in itself. What are they going to keep in there? What are they going to toss out? Because you can't put everything back in there to play no. the game. No, you effectively can't put any of that stuff back in, I wouldn't think. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's a, 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 very, a very interesting thing there to see what's going to happen. What's going to be left in there? What's going to be taken out? I'm very anxious to see what happens with that. And yes, I do think this is going to come back to the table quite a few times for me, actually. Perhaps an update in a future episode for a recent play. Bit number seven is where we have a look at the downsides. King, I'm going to give it right back to you. Did you find any downsides in playing this legacy campaign? Well, as far as the downsides go, I think that sometimes whenever you're putting out your stickers, where you're going to lay down your routes, there were the track beds where there were no gray lanes, there were no colored lanes. You could put your own companies down there. Sometimes whenever you look at it, there are sections where, like on the East Coast, there's a whole section, lots of green, all in one place. I was looking on the West Coast, and actually I was surprised with the amount of black that was out in the West Coast of mine. I think that breaks up the randomness of the game already being printed, that they really take a, into account what needs to be put here to keep it fair for everyone playing. Whenever right. you do it this way, it can be kind of leaning a certain way but once again not knowing what the future rules are for playing this game after it's completed that may not have that big of a deal involved with it you may not have the company cards that would give you four points for using your color of trains or anything but um as far as a downside a really major downside i don't think i really ran into anything on this because once again this was my first legacy game i had a blast playing the whole thing Lena? I'm pretty much the same. I had a really hard time trying to think of a downside. I mean, one thing I thought was that, you know, by the time we were at the end, mm -hmm. like we kind of touched on that thing was massive. <laughs> that thing was taken up. So we had to pull up an extra table. A I bit think. of a table yeah. hog. Yeah. It was a bit of a table hog. So I thought, I mean, if you're not prepared for that, be prepared to pull up an extra table or something because it was, it took up a lot of space. But that's not totally a downside. I mean, there's lots no. of games that take up a lot of space. That's just something more I felt was like, be aware of it. Be prepared. It seems small at first, but as you expand, have something ready for all that for all that space. And I think the only one thing, little nitpicky thing that I didn't like was that I never even bothered touching those train routes where you could get the like 18 bucks with the pickaxe or whatever it was. Mm. I felt like that was kind of like, eh, it was not worth the risk for me to go into the haunted wasteland to right, right. get those pickaxes. And that was small and it didn't even necessarily bother me, but that was just one area I just... I avoided that. I didn't get cursed one single time the whole game because I just saw that and said, nope, not even going to touch it. That $18 to build that route looks really intriguing, but 
I'm good. I'm going to pass on that Yeah, area. I'm going to do my other stuff because that's not I'm worth do it. my other stuff. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily a downside, but I did avoid that whole area. So maybe it's a slight little downside. And I found the north a little dull, like the north part where that Winnipeg and, you know, Fargo was. I was kind of like, yeah, right. It was just Mama O'Connell territory, eh, you know. In ours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in ours. And that was just our section. And like I said, I think that could be different for everybody else where they put down their Mama O'Connell, sticker, Mama O'Connell stickers. But, you know, but I'm not, it was hard to find a downside on this game. It was a lot of fun. Well, it wasn't that hard for me. I've got four. I've got four here and they're going to go up in order from, okay, I'm nitpicking to this was a a true downside, I thought. Uh, First and foremost, if you're expecting a rich developing story throughout your campaign, it ain't there. This isn't a story game, so get that get that out of your head. You're going to be reading things. You're going to be like, okay, I guess that has something to do with trains and the West, but it doesn't really – it, it it's not fluid. It doesn't go in a chronological order in any fashion, for example, when you're reading a postcard. So story, meh. But that's to be expected. Second, the financier and the gambler employees aren't just the best two, but I think they're the best by a wide margin. Third, the haunted wastes. And you mentioned this one, Lana. The haunted wastes, uh, and frankly, the California portions of the map, they're just not worth the risk. Both have increasingly difficult tracks to create, and after their creation, there is some downside, being it that your track section gets destroyed or you get cursed. So two sections, two sections of this map, if you draw your tickets and it has something to do with oh the the, mid, the haunted wastes in California, it's like, oh man, these tickets, man, why couldn't I have drawn tickets to go to the northwest or south to north or the east coast? That's a factor. Now, the real downside for me. Okay, now I I have done several legacy campaigns, and I'll use Risk Legacy as an example. We're marking up the board. We're naming cities in permanent marker. We are ripping up cards, right? Seafall, for as much justified hate as that game gets, it had us naming all kinds of characters and islands. We got to name our ships. Heck, we lost a relic at sea and it had us write lost on it in big, chonky letters, right? The changes made in previous legacy experiences held weight. They mattered. Something in game two was going to matter in game eight. They left a lasting impression as an alteration made to the border components would last forever. And when the game changed, it was an event and it was permanent. The next section of the campaign would be wildly different as you gained a few more steps towards that ultimate goal, all while navigating those insane things that are being introduced. Ticket to Ride Legacy feels safe. Extremely safe. The modules introduced, they're all neat, they're all very well implemented, they're all well thought out. Each works seamlessly with the campaign, but ultimately, each of them are decent. They're all an unseasoned, uh, they're all a, I want to say Eden Park, they're all like, they're a Denny's grilled chicken, right? <laughs> it, it, it works, it's fine, yeah, it's it tasty, works. price is right, it's seamless, but it's not going to leave this lasting impression. It doesn't change the way you think about the legacy game. I would have loved it. I would have loved it if we had something demolish an entire city. Let us name some towns, for God's sake. I want Patville on there. Is something. <laughs> give us something that's a memorable moment that isn't created by our own camaraderie around the table. Uh, nothing that was introduced felt particularly amazing, unique, or different. I wanted a lot. I, like I wanted some home run moments. But this game simply, and in a good way, got on base a lot. So does that make sense? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Yeah. That said, was it fun? And who's it for? I'll start. Then we'll go King. Then Lena, we're going to let you wrap it up being the guest and the first time on the show proper. 
in spite of everything that I said, this was a good experience. And frankly, as I mentioned, it's a it's a good value. And actually, I didn't mention that. This is well, yeah, no, I did. We touched on the value. Yeah, a touched little on bit. it. Yes, it were at under yeah. a buck a play per person in a four player game. I think in the grand scheme of legacy games, it's probably going to fall somewhere in the middle for me. It played it safe, but it did it well. It's kind of weird putting downsides right before the final thoughts because, like, we basically trash a game for a couple of minutes and then we tell you that we liked it. But that's the case here. I I really enjoyed this and I enjoyed the experience of it. However, I do have to stress uh, the main draw of legacy games for me is those big, swingy, game-altering moments that occur during the campaign. And Legends of the West substituted those moments for, we'll say, simple modules being implemented throughout. Who's it for? Obviously, if you like Ticket to Ride, you're going to like this. If your group is four to five people, I think four is a great number. We played it at four, and I think that worked out beautifully. Uh, it's a decent legacy game to give a try if you've never done a legacy game because the rules are implemented so well. We rarely had to second guess. If you have played a legacy game, though, and you want those big stand-up game-changing moments, this isn't going to offer it. If that's what you want from yours, I would even... I would try one of the Pandemic's first, Clank Legacy, or even the OG, Risk Legacy. All in all, a very fun experience, though. King? Yes, I had a great time playing this. I feel that I definitely got my money's worth with this game, as I continue to have it, and I will continue to play it as well. It's This is definitely for, I think... For casual gaming group, I mean, if you have a gaming group that's really into real fiddly Euro games, this might be fun, but I don't know if it's going to scratch their itch. This, I think, is great for families. I Yesterday, whenever we had our meetup, I saw a family, um, husband, wife, two kids, they were buying Ticket to Ride. I'm like, mm-hmm. that is the perfect thing to see there. I love seeing that, that they're going to take that home and they're going to be able to play that. They play that a few times. They really like it. Hey, let's introduce them to to Ticket to Ride Legacy. I think they're going to love it. You're not going to have the stand-up cheering moments or anything like that, but you're going to have that fun togetherness moments of building the map together and making your own game that you can continue to play afterwards. I agree. I actually made a point on there that I thought it was a would be a great family game. So this was also, as I said, my first legacy game. But I had a blast with it. Um, I loved the creativity of adding on each game and how it changed the story a little bit. And it kept the storyline going. Yeah, it was maybe a little lacking, but I think there was still enough than more just more than you get in a normal base Ticket to Ride of I'm making train routes. You know, mm-hmm. that's what you play on Ticket to Ride. Mm-hmm. And I love Ticket to Ride. I enjoy Ticket to Ride. That was probably one of my gateway games into here, you know, was Ticket to Ride. So I still like it, but I like that it gave more of a storyline than just building train routes. So I really like that. And I said as well, I think it'd be really good for families or that are trying to get a commitment to sit down play a game together. Okay, well, we've got this campaign that we're going to get, and now we're committed to this. It's not just, oh, we put tickets right on the shelf, and yeah, we might play it here and there. No, now you're kind of committed to playing to this, so it could be a really good opportunity for a family who wants to sit down and say, we're going to have this designated game that we're going to play together, and it's easy enough that I think the non-deep hobby gamers can play, but still have a lot of fun with it. And it cleaned up from what I saw. I know Scott's the one who took it home, but 
Boy, as a mom myself, I would say that cleanup looked amazing on it. That you could just stick it in your box and close it up, and there it is. You know, it puts away really nicely. So I think it'd be great for great for families. And if I hadn't just played it, you know, I mean, maybe maybe in the future I still might pick it up for my family. I still might do it. But the fact that I already kind of know what happens, I don't know. I don't know if it would. I'd be almost curious to maybe still. I know I kind of said, oh, I was done with it, but. I'd almost be curious to see if maybe my teenagers were like, yeah, I'd give that a try. Then I would probably pick it up and say, you know what? Maybe I will try it again. All in all, I think we all agree. Very fun experience we had. Very much so. are the head of a respected but troubled family estate in the mid-19th century Victorian England. After several lean decades, family fortunes are looking up. Your goal is to improve your estate so as to be in better standing with the truly influential families in Derbyshire. One year ago today, we had the opportunity to play and review Obsession. Lena, have you played? I haven't. Get out! Out! <laughs> okay, Can now we, we got some guy time. <laughs> she might not be back. <laughs> King, boy, this game took us by surprise. Uh, and you know what? I think it took a lot of people by surprise because it sort of slow burned its way up into that top 100, didn't it? Oh, it most certainly did. And still, like I said, uh, when we talked about our games at PAX Unplugged this past year, I listed this as one of those hidden gems there that people still don't really know about. I took my friend Chris over. Oh, my God. The number of games he has is unreal. He backs almost every Kickstarter, and he never really heard about it. He signed up and bought everything right there and then at that moment. Oh, I can't say enough good things about this game. Yeah, very cool to meet with uh, with Dan Halligan. The characters oh, yeah. expansion he had going on Kickstarter was successful. We got to see the coins, all that stuff. I can't wait to get my copy and and start intermingling the characters and whatnot into the game and and play it. As we had that side quest episode where he was telling us all about those modules and how they incorporate into the mm-hmm. game, I'm like, oh, this is so good. So BGA has the upstairs downstairs expansion now incorporated into its main play Ooh. and its tournament play. I can no longer gloat about being ranked number one. Um, I have I've lost that crown. So be it. It it uh, it happens. Uh, but I still thoroughly enjoy playing the game on Board Game Arena. I still need to break out my expansions, but normally whenever I'm playing my physical copy, thank you, Teacher Ryan, uh, I'm usually teaching it to people that have never played it before. So I just tend to go with the base game to get them into it. I went to a friend's house and pulled this out, and right away, it was like after that weekend, Monday or Tuesday, boom, BGA. So-and-so has invited you to play Obsession. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, that's where I met Kurt. Kurt taught us Sky Team. Yes. Um, you know, it's funny. We have we have stories around this game now. Uh, Ryan taught us how to play at Origins, so we associate yep. that Origins with playing that game with Ryan. That was one of the – that was like the second time we actually saw him oh, in yeah. person. And then we had the chance to uh, – like I, I met – Kurt through playing. Um, mm-hmm. Then we met Dan at PAX. Yep. It's like, well, we've come a long way with Obsession. We don't have brother. to yammer much about how much we love this game. It's obviously going to be a recommendend for uh, – a re- did I say recommendend? Yes, you did. Okay. Well, we're going to recommendend it. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely recommendend. 
<laughs> Guys, can I come back to you? <laughs> Again. Get in here, you. Alright, you two, Lena, it's your first episode, so of course we're gonna play a game. But this one, we're gonna do a little bit differently. King, it's not gonna be you versus Lena. I'm gonna have you two play a little co-op, okay? Oh, Are we in okay. the mood for a co-op game? Okay, and adventure. Okay. This is one that you can play along with in your car. So here's how this is gonna work. First of all, the game does not have a name. I didn't think ahead that far. But here's how it's going to work. I'm going to say a term, and then I'm going to define what that term is. The definition that I give you might be fake, and the word actually is the title of a board game, or it could be both. So let's do a quick example, all right? The first term is, and I know you know the answer right away, but let me let me get through it. Okay. The first okay. example is Lunar Rush. The definition this was a glam rock band from the late 80s whose, sit, whose hit song, Ice Cream Dream, rose all the way to number five on the American charts. Lunar Rush. Is that actually what it is? Is it a board game or is it both a board game and the definition I gave? It's just. I know it's game. a board game. I think it's just the game. I mean, yeah. I'm like. Okay, You're correct. Okay, so okay, good. Okay, we great. know how to play. That's how <laughs> we're doing this. I've got 15 of them on the board. Oh, uh, let's do it. Ready? Number one. The word is Florenza. This is an anti-inflammatory lozenge meant to treat stubborn mucus in the sinus cavities. Florenza. So it's either a game or a term. Or it is both. The definition is correct and it's a board so game. So it's both. Okay. It, it can't be neither of them. Okay. No. Okay. It, I'm either telling okay. you the exact definition or I'm, say, I'm lying to you. I think it's just the medicine. Or do you I know, feel like Lena? it's just a medicine. Yeah. We're both yeah, saying like Florenza. Yeah. Oh, we're starting off on the wrong foot. Florenza oh, no. is the name of a board game. It is not oh, an anti-inflammatory lozenge. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> well, we got the game done. Let's get right to number okay. two. Number right. two is choir, spelled Q-U-I-R-E. Choir. This is a term that describes exactly two dozen sheets of paper. Choir. It's oh. a game, isn't it? I feel like it's just a game. King, okay. King seems like he's uh, on the opposite side. I don't know. It's it's a little. Icky. Let's oh, go. I bet there's Game. adventurers out there that no. know that it is in fact two dozen sheets of paper. Who Choir two is dozen not. Sheets of paper? <laughs> I, hey, it's it's a thing. It's a thing. <clears throat> Number three, ratoon, R A T O O N, ratoon. This is a small growth that shoots off the root of a plant. Ratoon. Did I give you the definition? Or is that a board game? Or is it actually both? I think it's both. Scott's going sounds, both. It sounds like it should be a board game. It does sound like a board game, doesn't it? Yeah. Ratoon. Okay, let's go with the go board with game. Let's go with both. Oh. Uh, yeah, board game, board game. Oh, no. Oh, no. no, this is a hard one. Ratoon is actually a growth that shoots off the root of a plant. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay, now we're gonna try it. Now we're gonna try okay. and run the gauntlet. We're gonna see if we can go the whole right. way without getting any right. Number four. Okay. <laughs> Number four. Seize the bean. <clears throat> the definition for seize the bean. <laughs> Authored by Karen Estrada, this is a self-help guide for women in their twenties and thirties to achieve a more satisfying oh. Seize the bean. 
<laughs> is it a board game? Is it actually the title of a book? Or is it both? Holy moly. I think it's just the game. <laughs> I think it's just the game. I, I yeah. I agree. I was going to say, I feel like, yeah. Okay, you're on just the board. It is, in fact, a board game. It's all about coffee. It's a coffee board game. Ah, Although, okay, okay. I would be shocked. You know what? I didn't actually check to see. I just made up a definition. Maybe it is. <laughs> Let's move to number five. We've got Slamwich. This mid-2000s Denny's sandwich features two scrambled eggs, sausage, bacon, and cheese served on toast. Is that what a Slamwich is, or is that actually a board game? Or is it both? That was a thing at Denny's, wasn't it? I feel like it was. Mm, I get your uh, moons over my hammy. That, that's I do what like I was thinking it was. I was they thinking that. They got hash browns. I'm, One time I'm, they had I'm, endless pancakes. Uh, it feels you like go with it both? was in the Yeah. So, so you think, yes, it was a Denny's sandwich, and yes, it is the name of a board game? Okay. Oh, man. All right, let's ah, go for it. You're on the board again. Yes. Double points, two in a row. The uh, slam, which was, in fact, a sandwich and is the name of a board game. Let's move to number six, zoanthropy. Zoanthropy. This is the term given for a condition in which someone believes that they are an animal. Someone <laughs> believes they're an animal. That's zoanthropy. Is that really a thing? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like sometimes my daughter thinks she's a cat. Right. I. We've all seen I mean, the lizard got, guy. He like split his true. tongue yeah, and did. Yeah. Like, he's got tattoos all over. I mean, it feels like the name well, of a board game. But <laughs> I'm trying to figure out his order of things here. So we're on the board yeah. twice with board games. I'm going to say that's true. This is Maybe. not. This is not I very okay. purposefully randomize. Scott's thinking oh, it's man. not a board game, and that I'm giving the real definition. I'm gonna go with Scott. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with his three his in a row. Fantastic! Yes. Nice job. Look Scott. at you two. Yeah. You're on fire. Okay. Okay. So we got the we got the kinks out of the system. We're ready to go. Number seven, dungeon party. This term describes an adult activity for those in the lifestyle, which typically contains five or more people and general debauchery. No. Dungeon party. Game no. only. Yeah, I'm going to go with game. Transparent. Very good. Game only. It was well done. Moving to number eight, Charta Kremenese. Charta Kremenese. Norway celebrates May 17th as a form of Independence Day. The Charta Kremenese is the English term given for the document establishing their independence. Charta Kremenese. I can hear some of my friends that I work with just probably yelling at me, like from mm. across the across across the states right now, saying if this is true or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, King, King, you uh, you do Renaissance festivals, so you know everything about independence of Norway. <laughs> <laughs> right. My whole thing is it doesn't seem like a Norwegian word, so I'm going to say it's just a game. That's true. It does not seem like, yeah. Using a little deduction, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, so are you both in agreement like that this is just I, a game? Yep. I agree then. I'm going to go with it. And you're right. Charter Kremenese yes, is nice just yeah. a game. Let's move to number nine, heavyweights. 
1995 film starring Ben Stiller follows Gerald Garner's summer vacation, which is spent at a camp designed for overweight boys to lose weight. Hilarity ensues as Stiller's character, Tony Perkis, is a bit over the top and has plans to sell an infomercial for the camp based on an extremely strict diet and exercise regimen. Heavyweights. As most definitely the movie, I know that for an absolute fact. Now, I don't know if there's a game, but it seems like heavyweights is a a word waiting to have a game put onto it. I feel like it, yeah. I know for I'm, sure it's a movie. I've got, I agree with that. That is for sure a movie, so I'm going to say both as well. We're both so neither of you have played the board game Heavyweights. You're just guessing that there's a game out there it called Heavyweights. Like there yep. be, uh, sounds like there should be a game called Heavyweights out there. I'm sorry, it's just a movie. What? Wow. Just the movie. They, so I feel like somebody would have let's uh, take jumped notes. on that. Heavyweights. Hold on, let's, let me verify this because I don't know that I verified it. Heavyweights. <laughs> there's no heavyweights. Oh, there is a heavyweight boxing and there's the return of heavyweight champ. Both of them are pre-1990, so they're old games. Heavyweights need to make game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we're cruising. We're cruising. All we're right. on to number 10, sharpshooters. During the American Civil War, this term was given to soldiers who were particularly accurate. Sort of an early term for snipers. Sharpshooters. That is a term. Yeah. Most definitely. For sure. That is a definition. I'm going to just assume that it was in the Civil War then, because I know that's I know that's a term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Now I'm trying to think if it would be a game. Sharpshooters. For some what reason, kind I of feel like game? it's a dice game. I, it's, it feels like it's somewhere in the ethers of my mind that it should be, that I've heard it somewhere. Scott's thinking like shooting dice. Like, uh, yeah. Crack a lack in the dice and toss them up against the side of a building. Sharpshooters. Yeah, I think it's both. Yeah, I'm going to say both as well. Go it is both. both and it is a yes. dice game. I had this when I was nice like six years that. old. You get this semi-circle wall with a felt board and something like 38 dice in there. It's, <laughs> it's kind of a Yahtzee style game. Yes, well done. Sharpshooters is both. Number 11 is Uchronia. This term describes a condition in which an individual who used to see color does so no longer, typically as a result of head trauma. Uchronia. U-C-H-R-O-N-I-A. Uchronia. Hmm. we got some silence going it's, now. It's, it's... The gears are turning. It is. I'm thinking through all of my, you know, phonetics that I've ever taken, you know, all my word, my word knowledge. Euchronia. Like An individual used to be able to see color. feels like the color part. The chrome yeah. part of it feels like it could be an actual definition of something that has to do with color. I feel like it should be a definition. Okay. But could it also be a board game? That is a... Don't you guys go looking up board game titles. I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not. As much as I want to click on it, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> it would be too obvious to see me sitting there what going, I'm typing it in. I feel like it's a definition. Okay, I'll go with it. I feel like there's anything, yeah. 
designed by Carl Chuddock and no. published by Aiello in 2012. Euchronia is a board game. Oh. Okay. Okay. All that's right. A little, fairly newer one, we, too. We got some hiccups, but that's all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. I feel like we're going to get back on track right here with number 12, Witch Stone. In the fourth installment of the Harry Potter series, this is the relic that transformed Hermione into a mouse. Witch Stone. No. 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 Game only. Game only? Mm-hmm. Are that either of not... you two uh, familiar with Harry Potter? Do you, have you done like all the movies? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Scott, you a Harry Potter multiple fan? Times. Uh, I like Harry Potter. I'm not really a fan, but... Yeah, no, I say I have read the books game only. many times and seen the movie many times. <clears throat> game Hermione only. was never turned into a mouse, was nope. she? I this no, is she was not. Definitely just a board game. <laughs> you know who's turned enough. into a mouse? Scabbers. That's is the that, only person who was oh, ever Somebody was turned into a mouse? Somebody was turned into a mouse. How about Which that? Was, okay. um, but it was not Hermione. It was Peter. Peter Pettigrew, and he was turned into a mouse. And it was not, uh, you know, and it was not through something called a witch stone. <laughs> We've got three remaining. Number 13, Cabotage, C-O, I'm sorry, C-A-B-O-T-A-G-E, Cabotage. This term describes transporting goods or people within the borders of a country, or at least having the right to do so. So like trafficking things within your own country, Cabotage. Giving us a legal human trafficking thing here? No, not, yeah, I didn't say that. I mean, like you know, like delivering goods and whatnot. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like I was if, like, what kind of definition Like when is this? Barb wanted to get the uh, the fish into the te- into Lake Town, he had right. to have the right papers and whatnot. Yes, Cabotage okay. is apparently the word for moving goods within the borders of a country. That doesn't seem right. Yeah. He stuttered. No, that's not true. <laughs> You're trying to do some right delivery. I think it's a game only. It sounds like a game. It's actually the definition I gave you. Oh. What? Cabotage. So it's kind of funny. I'm coming up, I'm looking up these funny words. And I was like, cabotage. So if I wanted to make it sound like a game, I have to do something with cabbage, right? Like you're sabotaging <laughs> cabbage. And there's like, nah, they're going to think that I just put two words together to make it. Okay, okay. Two to go. <laughs> two to go in this co op, and then we'll wrap things up. Uh, number 14 Richard the Lionheart. Of course. This is the first king of England. Both. Richard the Lionheart. No both. time wasted from King yeah, Scott. And mm-hmm. Lena as well. We're both we're saying both? both. Are we sure that it's a board? Okay, both. it is both. It is both. Wow. <laughs> no hesitation. Let's bring it to the final question. Uh-oh. Edge of Darkness. This novella by Joseph Conrad was the inspiration for the 1979 Francis Ford Coppola film Apocalypse Now, starring no. Charlie Sheen, nope. Marlon Brando, and Robert Duvall. Nope. Nope. It was Heart of Darkness, not Edge of Darkness. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. you're it good. Was. You two are good. <laughs> and Charlie Sheen wasn't in it. Oh, yeah, he was. No, he wasn't. No, it was Charlie Sheen. I don't know. Martin I Sheen. Know the book. Oh, it's was on my it bookshelf over there? Okay, that was just, a, yeah. I transposed that. It was Martin Sheen. It was the older one. <laughs> so that would mean board game only, right? Is that and our final a, answer? Yes. It's not a yeah. yes. Board game yes. only, Edge of Darkness. Well done, you two. That's a fun <laughs> one. I'm surprised. Some of those were really hard, and I was really proud of some of the definitions. Great job. <laughs> you did a good job. You did good. I thought for sure Cabotage was a game. <laughs> well, I hope Adventures, I hope you did really well. I, I'm curious. Hit us up. Let me know how you did. Did you get them all? Did anybody out there get them all? I'm curious to know. I want to hear I want to hear the reports back as well. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. 
<sighs> Scott, Lena, we did it. It's the end of episode 120. This feels good. This feels great. Yeah. We did it. We are officially, we it, I think, uh, over a hundred episodes more than I thought we'd actually get out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that if you turn on episode one and just let it play, it would probably take you for like a week and a half, like 10 straight days of voices. <laughs> That's scary thinking about that. Wow. Yeah, You know what? When we die long after we're dead, this will be immortalized somewhere <laughs> in cyberspace. People will be like, who are these boneheads? Oh, boy. <laughs> Lena, as you know, every episode we like to conclude with how we leveled up since we last spoke. So we're going to give you the floor. Give us, give us your uh, what do you call it? the maiden voyage, the first level up for Navigator Lena. The first level up for me is the honor of getting to be here with you guys. It, it's been a blast, and it's really exciting to get the opportunity to join in this with you guys. So I feel like that is a big level up for me to get to join you guys with this. So thank you for this opportunity. Oh, I'm make very no excited mistake. about it. It is a level up for the show. We're honored yes. to have you. King, what you got? Well, mine is uh, really kind of stupid because, as I said, I've been busy <laughs> with this play. What I get up every morning, I get up in the morning, I turn on my laptop, I take a look at the things I need to get done, and then I go to Wordle. So I just finished getting 25 <laughs> days in a row on Wordle. It just made me happy. Does that mean that you played 25 days in a row or you won it 25 I days in a row? I won it 25 days in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think that's, that's impressive. That's an accomplishment. You're looking up your – you Wordle too? I Wordle too. I have Wasn't Wordled this for two a thing years. Like three or four, five years <laughs> no, ago? I've Wordled for two years. And remember how I said that whole Scrabble thing? Mm-hmm. My oh. Wordle, my Wordle that now, granted, I have a couple days here and there that I have missed over, you know, things get busy and stuff. But my percentage, my percentage streak on it is 100% for two oh, years. Wow. You, every day. Oh my God. Do you even Well, not every day. Wrong? There's, the, I know. <laughs> there's been a couple days where I've missed, but I've never gotten it wrong. Not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I hope tomorrow's not the day. No, no, wordling. <laughs> Leave me alone. I need my wordle. Yeah. <laughs> so, Scott, I'm proud of you. It's a big level up, right there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, guys, my level up is a, is a simple one. We had a meetup. We haven't done a meetup since summertime. What with the, we had PGX, we had PAX. Yep. We just had a really busy season throughout the fall, so we haven't been able to do one for a long time. And finally, we got back to it. SCG Hobby in Latrobe. We had 25 or 30 people come out and play some games. It was just a great time, and it was oh, nice it was. to be back in that atmosphere. We got to give away a bunch, meet some new people. We had the designer of Unearth was uh, was at the meetup. He, mm-hmm. he gave a copy of the game away, signed it for the person who won it just a blast and i can't wait for the next one uh hopefully we'll be able to announce uh, a date and time next episode but that is my level up adventurers keep your ears open we're going to be doing a side quest in the very near future on galactic cruise supposed to be the next giant kickstarter euro game we've had our plays of it and it's fantastic teacher ryan's going to join me and we're going to get tk on the show for that fun k town convention that's the name of the convention that we're going to in knoxville it goes from the 26th through the 28th of april start making your plans now get your hotel room come play some games with level up lena thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure. And King, you get the last word. Well, I wasn't even really prepared for this, but as I'm just sitting here... We, uh, we do it every episode. I know, I know. I've had a lot on my mind. <laughs> as I'm sitting here, I'm just going through the 
G.I. Joe mission critical box here, and the only thing that comes to my mind is, hey, always remember, pork chop sandwiches. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.